All right, welcome back to the Comic Book Revolution podcast. As always, I'm your host, Rock, and by my side, I've got not one, but two of my platonic life partners here, Kevin and Steven, both of you guys. Kevin, how you doing, my friend? I'm doing well. How are you, bud? Not bad, not bad. Steven, how are you? I'm doing great, man. Awesome. Good to be back. Awesome. <laughs> yes, that's right. We 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 missed Steven on our last episode where we dove into the Hellfire Gala. But that's okay, Steven. I put in your two cents for you, okay? Oh, great. <laughs> he, he, he was doing a good job getting your opinion in there. That's right. I, cool. I, I'd work it in whenever I could, whenever I could. <laughs> As always, <laughs> you can download and listen to the Comic Book Revolution podcast on all podcast services out there, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Amazon. Please make sure to rate and review the show. It helps people to find the podcast, and we love to hear from all of our followers. You can also check out our reviews and features on the comic book and manga industry at comicbookrevolution.com. And I believe, Kevin, you have just put up your latest review was for Batman Urban Legends number five, correct? Yeah. And yeah. I, I see here that you gave it high marks. High marks yeah. from Kevin. Yeah. So yeah, especially I know uh, Rock, you, you enjoy a good Shonen Jump manga, so yeah. it's very much Shonen Jump inspired with just uh, being all Batman family. So it's it's a fun time if you just like anthology series. Beautiful, beautiful, and of course you can also download and listen to the Mango Revolution podcast on all podcast services out there. You can also check out the latest episode of the Mango Revolution podcast on comicbookrevolution.com. You can check out the Comic Book Revolution's Facebook page. You can follow the Revolution over on Twitter at CB Revolution. And you can follow the Comic Book Revolution's Manga Twitter account at the Manga Podcast. You, of course, can follow me on Twitter at Rock with 2K's Revolution and on Instagram at Rock with 2K's Revolution. You, Kevin. So you can follow me at KevinL007 on Twitter and Instagram. And Steven, you. And you can follow me at President Glover on Twitter. Fantastic. All right, boys. Well, I have assembled the team today to take on Black Widow. That's right. It's real, guys. It's not just a myth. It's not Bigfoot. It's not the Loch Ness Monster. It really <laughs> does exist. We had to wait a long time to get it. Thanks, pandemic. But we're finally getting it. So I'm excited to hop back into another MCU movie review with you guys. But before we get to it, gentlemen, tell me, what is new, interesting that you have seen or read in the world of geekiness? Kevin, how about you? Really, I, I haven't actually been keeping up much. Unfortunately, I got sick last week. So, oh, no! Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> but So I've been mostly just for, for myself, and I guess it's geeky stuff because it's very much of our 80s, 90s. I've been watching Psych a lot. Oh, nice. So I'm, not, uh, I'm not sure if you guys have watched that show, but... Yeah, yeah. Ex excellent. Just like all the 80s, 90s reference and how it's just an excuse for the creator to basically get every 80s <laughs> star from, <laughs> in, into into a new TV show. So Pretty much. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Not so, bad. So, so if, you, if you enjoy the 80s and 90s if you, and haven't watched Psych, I, I recommend watching Psych. Fantastic. I, I fully endorse more 80s and 90s, believe me. I'm all about that. <laughs> Steven, how about you? 
Well, you'll be very happy to hear this, Rock. Uh, my roommate and I have started watching The Sopranos. Yes! The greatest <laughs> TV show of all time! Yes, I highly encourage Stephen. After Breaking Bad. Well, <laughs> well Breaking yeah. Bad hap, hap, you know, basically wouldn't exist without The Sopranos. But yeah, uh, fair enough, yeah. the uh, <laughs> th- there is a great podcast, Stephen. I suggest, if you have the time, to mm-hmm. listen to while you're watching The Sopranos. It's uh, okay. It's called Talking Sopranos. It's by Steve Sherpa, who plays Bobby mm-hmm. Bacala, and Michael Imperioli, yeah. who plays help me, Christopher Moltisanti. That's right. And yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. They go through episode by episode. The podcast is still going on now. Uh, I mean, they have a lot of episodes, mm-hmm. and they're doing one a week. But it is it is well worth because I rewatched it with my older son just you know past month. And I started listening yeah. to the podcast. It really adds a lot to it to hear these guys that were on the set. It adds a lot to the show. But anyhow, I'm glad to hear this, Stephen. You will not be disappointed. I mean, it, it, the Sopranos, without the Sopranos, we don't get prestige TV as we know it now. No, absolutely not. Yeah, I, I, I mean, just the first episode alone was like, I was sitting back like, wow, like this is really good. Yeah. This is really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, my, my favorite TV show, which kind of came out like shortly after what is the wire oh yeah sure so right I'm really yep. gonna be interested to yep to see how they stack up against each other and mm-hmm. that means i'm gonna have to watch the wire again so. yeah, th- oh boy uh, i have to watch my favorite tv show again that's right oh, and since oh, you're no. a big music fan <laughs> i think you will love uh how david chase uses music in the sopranos it's really groundbreaking it's pretty impressive yeah I've, uh, I've seen i've had a few tracks so far that i've been like oh i know what that is <laughs> yeah yeah right right fantastic yeah. All right, well, I've experienced two things. This week has been big for me, guys. One, in the world of sports, Italia beat England for the Euro Cup, and then Argentina beat Brazil for the Copa America. So my family, really happy right now. My wife, of course, being Dominican-Cuban, is like, what is this soccer stuff? If it's not baseball, it's crap. (laughs) So no support from her whatsoever during my joyous week of sports. Thanks, Mrs. Rock. And in... (laughs) And for the boys, I decided my boys were old enough to be indoctrinated into the family. That's right. We watched a Fast and the Furious movie every night for the past week, including Fast and the Furious presents Hobbs and Shaw. So we've now watched all eight in a row. I'm happy to report that my boys agree with me that the Fast and the Furious franchise is hands down chef's kiss. One of the best. They adored it. And how could you not? Oh, it was great. It was great we watching some of these, especially the older ones, because I haven't seen them in forever. And I was just like, oh, this is so good. It's a, It was mm, just fantastic. So I think, guys, uh, in honor of, of Fast and the Furious, we may have to do a whole Fast and the Furious episode. I, I think that's going to have to happen in our future. Gotta go watch, I still got to go watch F9. I haven't watched it yet. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet either. I, I have not seen F9 either, but once mm-hmm. I can see it from the luxury and comfort of the uh, bunker here I, I will be i was sure to do so universal yeah. you know they, they're not giving it away online for free like hbo well <laughs> max well, they, they'll put it what yeah. uh, is it going to be on uh paramount plus in yes. 30 probably 30 days or yeah, so 30 days yeah you got it yeah yeah and it's like 45 day windows for her for their releases to paramount plus yep so they make us because I did watch like I watched Quiet Place too. Also on that's right. Plus. That's right. They're making us hey, wait hey, for yeah. it. They're making it, unlike Warner Brothers, who's like, here, just take it, take it. Just watch right. Space Jam too. Uh, did you just watch yeah. that? 
Uh, I, I haven't started it. I, okay. I want to. I want to watch that. Space that's why. This, that's why. Weekend. Stephen's shaking his head like, why? <laughs> I just can't. I. I can't. I can't do it. <laughs> right. it liter- I mean, I literally saw a clip where it was. It was Mad Max Fury Road, but. The, it was the coyote and the roadrunner. Yes. And I was oh, like, yeah. yeah. Like literally footage from that movie with them in it. And I was like, sold. I literally can't right now. <laughs> Kids have seen this movie that they're going to understand this. Like, what is going on here, people? Come yeah. on. You don't want to uh, watch. Uh, no. What is it? Uh, <laughs> Granny has in the Matrix. <laughs> I think I'm Come good. On. Uh, I, think, I think Lola Bunny and, and Wonder as Wonder Woman. As Wonder Woman. Dream country. Come on. Oh no. All right. Well, <laughs> oh wow. On, uh-huh. on that note, uh, gentlemen, let's turn our attention to the Black Widow movie. We have been waiting forever for this movie, guys. It's uh, it's really unfortunate that it got delayed by the pandemic. It's Black Widow is one of my favorite characters in the MCU. I like her in the comics, so that that kind of created the bias right there. I've always liked Natasha's character. And so I liked her in the movies. I was really not excited that they killed her off in uh, Avengers. That just big thumbs down from me. I I still think that's a huge mistake. Uh, Scarlett Johansson is just so awesome in that role, and she's such a good character that I don't know why you take her off the board. But whatever. Who am I to question the genius of Kevin Feige? This movie, (laughs) this movie, it has finally released in the U.S. and 46 territories on July 9th, 2021. It also was rolled out on Disney Plus with the premiere access package for an additional $30 on top of your subscription. So it's not being given for free like the Pixar movies in Soul and Onward and Luca were given out for free. It gets the premiere access treatment like Cruella and Mulan received. We have yet, at least I haven't seen them. Maybe they came out recently, but I have not seen any release dates yet for China, Taiwan, India, and some other markets in Southeast Asia and South America. And I know the pandemic will probably impact that from occurring whenever it may happen. Before we hop into the movie itself, guys, just give me a quick, just a real quick background of your interest or lack thereof in Natasha's combo character and by extension, her movie character. Kevin, we'll go with you first. For Black Widow and Natasha in general, I've always kind of been exposed to her. Like my first exposure was like her time with like in the Daredevil comics. Oh yeah, um, right. But, but then in terms of just her character, like getting into diving into her full character is Edward Baker's Captain America yeah, is what right. really made me a fan of her and just her entire relationship with uh, Bucky and stuff like that. That yep. and getting into her because I feel like that's where we really got. I got my first experience with the Red Room stuff and mm-hmm. all that. So that that's what really made me a, a fan of her character and. I've gone back and re-read a lot of the, her mini series and ongoing series, and generally, I think Marvel when it, they dedicate time to like just spend on, on Black Widow, most creators I feel like understand her concept and the Red Room for the most part, and she's just unfortunately not sold well right. <laughs> in terms of her comics. But yeah. but when it, like there's a lot of good comic books out there starring like Black Widow and like for both Natasha and Yelena. And even like the most recent one with Kelly Thompson is, I think, is really enjoyable. So I've, I've actually really become a fan of Natasha's character. Like, I would say, like a little bit before her MCU debut with Brew Baker's run, but 
But yeah, I, I generally like the character. She's always uh, brings a fun energy to any conflict that that she has, and her interactions with all the Avengers is always fun in the conflicts as well. How about you, Steven? I think kind of like Kevin, I'd always been introduced to her kind of as a supporting character. Actually, my first real exposure to her, like where I read and like she was more fleshed out and not just in the background, was Ruth Baker's Captain America, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which you know that was that's a great title anyway, and I really liked the way they put in the stuff about her background and her past of the winter soldier. I thought was really fascinating and going back, of course, you know, reading the daredevil stuff with her and some past like Avengers titles that she was in. I've always really liked her character. I like the fact that I don't want to make a direct comparison with Batman, but kind of like Batman, she's just a regular person who's super insanely skilled. She's a super spy on a superhero team. And I've just always really liked that. You know, I think it's really interesting. I like, when it's just her up against like a supervillain, I like seeing people be creative with how she takes them out, even though they should be able to just wipe the floor with her. And I just like her character, super smart, confident. You know, she knows she can kill you, but she chooses to be a better person. I think that's a really interesting dynamic. So yeah, I've always I've always really liked her, especially in the comic books. Like you guys, see, I was I've always been a fan of her, even when she was just a supporting character. I was lucky enough as a little kid, and I'm talking a little kid. I must have been like, geez, I don't know, six, seven, eight, nine, something in that range where my uncle gave me all of his comic books. And I'm talking every Marvel comic published from like 1962 throughout the 70s. And so I read them all like crazy. So for me, my exposure to Natasha, I really fell in love with her through the 1970s Daredevil comics where she mm-hmm. starred frequently and it was very, very cool. And she was also the leader of the champions mm-hmm. and short-lived superhero title, but also very cool. So I fell in love with her early and I've just, it's never changed. I've always liked her. And I think Marvel's pretty much been very consistent. Even when they retconned her character in the, her origin in the two thousands, I, I still think she's uh she stayed pretty on, on target, no matter what decade you're looking at for her character, which I like. And by extension, I was excited for the movie version, and I wish she was still around, but oh well. At least we're getting a Black Widow movie. <laughs> yeah, and, and and like I kind of mentioned, I think Black Widow, she's kind of, like you said, like in Batman that way, where she's the easiest to modernize, it feels yep. like, out of a lot of Marvel characters, yep. especially like the, the second-tier Marvel characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, they, like I've re- gone back and read a bunch of her comic books, and... Yeah, even though they've made adjustments to it, they, they don't seem to be like severe and everything that they've adjusted to her character doesn't feel like, oh, they have to just do it because they got to eliminate things that are yep. controversial or stuff. It's just like, oh, no, you just got to adjust it the years and stuff like that. That mm-hmm. still she feels like a modern character no matter what when you read her. Absolutely. Absolutely agree. All right, guys, let's get to the movie. The movie was brought to us, of course, the big head producer is Kevin Feige. You know, he's the guy, he's the puppet master pulling the strings and telling the director what to do and the writers what to write. It's really Kevin Feige directing and writing this movie, guys. But we'll go to who actually did that, too. The writing team, the screenplay was done by Eric Pearson, who is basically owes his entire career to the MCU because his his resume consists of writing the consultant and item 47 agent carter thor ragnarok and godzilla versus kong and he's got a bunch of uncredited rewrites as well on pretty much every you know mcu movie like all the avengers movies and ant-man and spider-man homecoming the story was done by jack schaefer 
who is a 42-year-old writer that we know, Stephen, when we reviewed WandaVision. She was the screenwriter for WandaVision. She also was the screenwriter for the movie Timer from 2009 that nobody saw, Ola's Frozen Adventure, and Captain Marvel, and the obvious iconic movie, The Hustle. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) 13% 13% Rotten Tomatoes rating for The Hustle. It's like one of the lowest I've ever seen in my life. And Ned Benson also co-wrote the story with Jack Schaefer, and he is a 44-year-old writer with, like, no resume at all. His resume consists of writing The Disappearance of Eleanor Rigby, which are three small films, him, her, and them, that he combined into one movie back in 2013-2014 that he did for his, at that time, girlfriend actress. So that's all. So you're looking at the writing team, and again, we see a pattern here. Kevin Feige picks people with little to no experience, not good resumes, because he can tell them what to do. It's very reminiscent of Marvel from the 60s, where you had house artists who were just told, shut up and draw it this way, (laughs) and I don't want to hear anything else from you. It's very interesting that this appears to be the formula Marvel is going to employ going forward. I'll start with you, Stephen. Do you think that is true, or do you think this is just a coincidence? I, I don't think it's a good idea, but, I mean, you never know when you're going to find somebody who's really good. The Russo brothers didn't really have any, any credit either, and then they came out and they were really good. And I will say, this is not just a Marvel thing. Studios do this often. I remember Fox used to do this all the time with their, their X-Men spinoff movies. Origins Wolverine is probably the most egregious example where they just plucked somebody who had done a short film in like Germany or something. And then they brought him over here and they just bullied him around the whole time. (laughs) So it's, it's something that they do a lot. I don't think it's a recipe for success, but I'm not making the most profitable franchise in (laughs) history right now. So (laughs) maybe there's something I'm missing. (laughs) Ah, Kevin, what do you think about this approach? In general, I think that kind of like what Steven said in, Ken Feige is definitely picking people that he could cooperate with, I would say, more so. Uh, tell, well, at least he could tell his, like what his vision is, because I yeah. think we've seen, especially with these giant franchises, I think with both like the Star Wars and the DCEU, when you don't, when you don't, don't have somebody running like mm-hmm. the overall vision of a franchise that's where it gets really messy where you where and where you see that other oh, maybe not a great plan on, in place so he is choosing a lot of directors he could work with i would still say that he he's picked really good ones because um like, like steven mentioned uh, the russo brothers are are extremely talented even though they came from tv background a lot um, b- before they started doing movies with the avengers captain america movies they they've done a lot of great work since and ryan coogler has been great taika watiti is another great director and even john watts and what chloe Zhao with the eternals that is coming up it seems like she is like at least in terms of cinematography she's bringing in a lot opening <laughs> eyes to what else you could do with cinematography so at least in the mcu so which i get from the the trailer i've only seen we've only seen the trailer but that's what i get from there so i think it's just partly it's just mostly like kevin feige wants to make sure that he he can work with the directors like which again i don't blame him for because again we've seen what happens with the dceu and and star wars and when you can't work with directors or you don't have clear vision aligned with the directors that kind of what happens Yep. So, again, I can't blame him for, for the picks that he's made. Right. And that extends in this movie. The director for, the, for Black Widow is Kate Shortland, who is a 52-year-old director who has really, really no resume at all. Directed Somersault, a movie from 2004, 
directed a movie called Lore in 2012 and a movie called Berlin Syndrome in 2017. Mm-hmm. You got me. Then does some TV. The budget for this movie, gentlemen, was $200 million, which is pretty standard for a Marvel movie. What is mm-hmm. hard to figure out is how much they're spending on marketing normally. the general I know the general rule of thumb is you take your production budget and you, and you times it by two, usually. But this movie has been delayed by a year or more, so I don't know how much mm-hmm. the but how much their marketing costs have ballooned. Nobody knows. Disney's never going to tell us. Yeah. So I mean, normally you might think budget two hundred million plus marketing. You're maybe you're looking around. You know, who knows three to four hundred million. But it, with all the extensions of it and the having to continue to spend more and more on marketing, you don't know that this could be well, up to they could be up to five hundred million at this point. It might not be that because you also got to consider a lot of that marketing budget also goes to the premieres. Yes. Um, and they're not having premieres like the, the those true. premieres not. right now. Yep. There, there's a lot of that as well because like usually they have the press lines yep. and all that stuff and they're not doing that a lot of that's digital right now yep it may not be as much as we think it's still it's still a lot oh, because yeah. they obviously want to make sure that this is successful but yeah, yeah there's a lot that the marketing cost goes into those big premiere events that right. we've seen with that they usually do which they're not doing for this right absolutely absolutely the critical reception so far has been solid pretty typical for a marvel movie a little bit lower than most, but not terribly that much lower. Rotten Tomatoes critic score is at 80%, and the audience score is higher at 92%. The 80% critic score places the Black Widow at 17th place out of all the MCU movies. The IMDb rating is 7.0 out of 10. The Metacritic score is 67 out of 100, and the user score was 6.5 out of 10. Currently, the box office is looking pretty solid. It's it's had about eight days in the theater right now, and it's clocking in domestically at 105 million and change. Uh, Internationally, 100 million and change for a worldwide of about 206 million. The guess is, can it make can it make enough money to yield Disney its fat profit? We don't know. It did fall off a cliff between. It's opening day and the second day of Saturday, July 10, where it dropped 41%. That is huge. The drop between the second and third day was 24%. By comparison, F9 had a 25% drop between its first and second day. And that's kind of what you want to generally see. So that's a huge drop. So the question is, can it make the money for Disney, given that you still have the pandemic going all around the globe? Movie theaters still aren't at 100%. Viewership's still not, you know, people aren't like Steven. Hop into that theater. Some countries they can't because they don't have a vaccine, you know. So Disney's going to try to bolster it through the premier access. Disney has said that they have brought in $60 million through the premier access. So is that going to be enough to offset the dip in the movie theaters? It, nobody knows right now. It's going to be very interesting to see, you know, Generally, studios get what about sixty percent from domestic box offices and maybe forty percent from international box offices. So, Disney's this movie's got to do really well for Disney to make his money back. That's the risk of these big budget movies. At this point, you just don't know. I think it's going to be hard. This movie's got to hit you know six hundred million to start to break even and make Disney money. It's going to be it's going to be a, it's going to be close it depends on how how much money disney can make up on the backside with that premiere access that's really the big key 
Samba TV did measure that 1.1 million households watched the Black Widow on its opening weekend, and their measurement consists of, you know, did you did you watch at least five minutes of said program, and then it clicks as a view, right? So 1.1 million is how they clock it at, which kind of makes sense with the math with what Disney's saying. We'll see. Does it continue to go up? I'll be interested to see if Disney says anything in the future to update that number. Guys, this is the first time Disney has ever put a number to how much they've made off their Disney premiere access. You know, they didn't say this with Mulan and they didn't say it with Cruella, which makes you wonder how bad <laughs> the premiere access did for those two movies, right? Because <laughs> normally if it's a good yeah. number, you're going to say it. So it would imply that wasn't a great number. Anyhow, it's going to be interesting to see how it does because really we, at, at some point, you know, the movie industry has to figure out how can they go forward economically, right? I know LA County just put an indoor mask rule back into place this week and the pandemic spiking back up in this country. And so it's not over for the movie industry going forward for the rest of this year. It's, it's going to, it's going to be dicey to say the least. And it's just interesting to see how this works out. What I'm bummed about is they're going to try to make up on the back end with Disney world price admissions guys. And I'm going to be paying more for my trips to Disney world. I'm not looking forward to that. Anyhow, <laughs> Steven's like, why? Anyhow, the cast for this movie, gentlemen, nice cast. We had Scarlett Johansson, of course, as Natasha Romanoff and Black Widow, the Natasha Romanoff character. You know, of course, she's not the first Black Widow in comics. The original Black Widow would be named Clairvoyant. Get it, guys? Clairvoyant. Oh, she was a magic based character. So good. She was created by George Capitan and Harry Saul and first appeared in Mystic Comics number four in August of 1940. She does have a cool character design. Natasha. She uh, was created by Stan Lee, Don Rico, and Don Heck. She first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 52 back in April of 1964 at the height of the Cold War. And Natasha debuted as a Russian spy antagonist for none other than Tony Stark, Iron Man. In the 1970s, Black Widow starred in Daredevil and had a relationship with Matt Murdock. That was, I believe, Jerry Conway was the writer at the time, and that was his idea over in Daredevil. We had Natasha as the leader of the champions, which ran for 17 issues from 75 to 78. And in the 80s and 90s, Natasha kind of then morphed into becoming more associated with S.H.I.E.L.D. and the Avengers. And then we had we had Natasha receiving four. I believe she's had four solo titles since 2010. And unfortunately, they've all sold terribly and have got in been canceled which is too bad because she's she's a good character but yeah her comics have done poorly originally natasha was raised by ivan petrovich who was given custody of her when she was a child her natural mother gave her away to ivan and then immediately died in the battle of stalingrad back in 42 and natasha was raised and trained by petrovich to be a russian agent and spy then in black widow Numbers one through six, I believe, in what, 0405, Natasha's origin was retconned. And to her being raised from very early childhood by the USSR's Black Widow Ops program. And in this new origin, Petrovich took Natasha to Department X, along with other young female orphans, where she was brainwashed and trained into combat and espionage at the Red Room facility. Natasha is biotechnologically and psychotechnologically enhanced, which is why she has an unusually long and youthful lifespan. 
And uh, Brubaker, even uh, Ed Brubaker, during his run on Captain America, even adds Natasha in to the Winter Soldier's here uh, history and has Winter Soldier train her for a short period of time. The Red Room facility, it first appeared in Black Widow Volume 1, Number 2, back in June of 1999. You guys think that the they did a good job capturing Black Widow's origin in this movie compared to her comic book, Kevin? Yeah, I would, I would actually honestly say so. I think the one of the strongest parts of this movie is actually all the Red Room stuff. And even the opening, like the um, o- opening scene, which we'll talk about, does a good job of just highlighting how kind of very quickly how brutal the Red Room is and everything. And then just and then throughout the movie, we see more of like the control aspect of the Red Room and how they control agents and stuff. Yep. I think in general, they the, what the concept of the Red Room is, I think they captured it well here in the movie. Yep. Um, for even though they only had like two about two hours or so to to get that done, I think they in general did a good job job with it. So, yep. Stephen, what'd you think? I think they had the benefit of the previous movies having gone into certain aspects already and getting those pretty well established. I like the stuff at the beginning of the movie in terms of like what the red room is and whatnot. But yeah, I think I think I think this movie had the benefit of other movies having done a lot of the work. <laughs> yeah, I would agree I, with that. That's fair. It's my opinion. <laughs> That's a fair statement. I, I, I like the origin. I think they were close enough to the comic book. It, it worked for me. That was fine. They didn't radically change her origin or make it something too strange. So I was okay with that. And of course, I think we all would agree that Scarlett Johansson is a wonderful actress and we love her as Black Widow, right? Do we need to go into more about that, guys? We all, we all agree, don't we? Yeah, and I think that I, I think with just by extension, like Yolanda with Florence Puig, like showing kind of another side of the Black Widow program too, of yep. giving, giving us another a different character yep. view on the Red Room too, was a good good way of like expanding on it in this mm-hmm. movie because we've only got it from Natasha's point of view. Yep. Where and now this time we're getting it more for Yolanda's point of view yep. and and everything that the Red Room means and stuff. So I think that having having that mix and. Again, why I, Yolanda and Natasha's relationships always been very fun to to see play out in the comic books. They brought it well in here and kind of, by extension, making the Red Room more interesting and diving into more of that from another perspective, too. Right, right. And speaking of Florence Pugh, she does play Yelena Belova. Yelena is the third Black Widow in the comic books and was created by Devin Grayson and J.G. Jones. People may remember Devin Grayson, who was in a relationship with Mark Wade for a long time and was the writer of Nightwing for a long time. Good stuff on Nightwing, too. Anyhow, Yelena first appeared in Inhumans number 5 in March of 1999. She has the same origin as Natasha's retconned origin. She was trained in the Red Room as well. Yelena ends up being genetically altered by Hydra and suffers terrible injuries after her encounter with the New Avengers. So she ends up having her mind transferred into a new version of the Super Adaptoid. And in 2017, during Secret Empire, which we all don't need to be reminded of at all, once Natasha is killed by Captain America's Hydra doppelganger. Yep, bad memories, guys. Yelena resumes the mantle don't remember. of the Black Widow. So... What did you guys think of Florence Pugh as Yelena, Stephen? I thought she was great. I thought she brought a lot of a lot of good energy to the movie. She and Scarlett and ScarJo are great together. <laughs> I thought she I thought she was really uh, really funny. Like a lot of lines, like on paper, probably aren't great, but the way yeah. she delivers them made yeah. me laugh. Yeah. 
And, uh, and I thought she had a lot of good, like, you know, emotional moments as well. I think she's a great addition to the movie. I mean, mm-hmm. Florence Pugh is a wonderful actress. Yep. And so I'm glad that they, you know, she was able to, to shine in this movie. Yeah. yeah. I think she, she's a great addition to like the MCU as a whole, and if she's the one that's taking over the Black Widow mantle, I think they picked a great actress. And I, I think overall, they're, Marvel's doing a good job of fighting young actors and actresses mm-hmm. to pick up like mantles or yep. pick a, or pick who's who's going to be the next character so that they don't have to cast recast like Steve Rogers right. or Natasha and stuff like that. I think they're finding a good way of fighting act, actors that could bring other characters that we've seen in the, MC, uh, in the Marvel Universe to life. And Florence Puig is just another one that, again, Dave, Florence she's done a great job with Midsummer and, mm-hmm. and even her role when she was Paige in, in a Wrestling With My Family and stuff like yep. that. She's yep. she's she, she's one of my favorite young actresses right now, and I think they, they knocked it out of park picking her and getting her before she's go, obviously going to blow up even more. Um, <laughs> right. And... Yeah, and I think, uh, like Steven said, I think she did a lot of good job with, like, especially, like, lifting the comedy up aspect of here, so that way it's not just on Natasha to, mm-hmm. uh, so that Natasha's the one that's doing uh, the comedy angle of it, and they could focus on what ScarJo does best of, like, I think she, which is all the serious stuff. Yep. Yep. Um, and I think that that's where Scar, Scarlett Johansson's uh, strength is as an actress is like the, when it comes to like the serious aspect of whatever character she's playing, and as far as we can come in here and do more of like. That lighthearted, witty banter, which Scarlett which Scar- Scar- Johansson does some of, some of as well, because that's part of her character. But I think Florence Puig does lift, lift that up. And just her, like I said um, before, of she gives us a different perspective of the Red Room as well. And, and overall, I think, again, she did a great job. And I think it's just continuing the MCU for what, whatever we may say about the MCU. They are doing a good job of casting the right actors to play roles that fulfill... Um, that next generation of who, what the MCU is after the, after Endgame, and so it's at least in good hands. Yeah, agreed. I I really like Florence Pugh as well. I thought she was an excellent choice. I like her sense of comedy. I think she pulls off comedy just as well as she does the more serious scenes. She she just has a really really impressive range from emotional serious moments to really legitimately really funny one-liners she does them all so well so I, I just i really like her as an actress i thought she did a great job bringing this character to life and i also like how she i like how she looks in that unlike a lot of uh, actresses scarlett johansson's one of them look she's totally hot don't get me wrong but she's built like you know your typical hollywood actress she's just small slender and good looking, Florence Pugh is built like a gymnast, which actually worked well with the style of, you know, fighting that her character had. The fact that she was kind of shorter and thicker like a gymnast. I kind of like that look. It just did a little bit of little changing up. So she didn't look just like a blonde version of Scarlett Johansson, which is what you really don't want to do is trying to mimic Scarlett Johansson. All right. Next up is David Harbour, who we all know from Stranger Things. He plays the role of Alexei Shostakov, who is also known as the Red Guardian. The Red Guardian was created by Roy Thomas, my man. John Buscema, also my man. That's a good creative team there, gentlemen. Red Guardian first appeared in the Avengers number 43 in August of 1967. Alexei is the first Red Guardian and was basically the USSR's answer to Captain America. The current Red Guardian is Nikola Krylenko, and he is the seventh Red Guardian. So they've been through quite a few Red Guardians 
over the years. <laughs> uh, Kevin, I'll start with you. What did you think of David Harbour in this role? Um, I, I liked him as well. I think Ian Del Florence Puig did some comedy, so I think his was the like most comedic character in yep. terms of this entire thing. And and he knocked. I, I think he knocked it out of park in terms of bringing that character to life and what the character is supposed to represent, especially with his ties to being a super soldier mm-hmm. and kind of he like we're kind of seeing more of that of like we saw that with Falcon and Winter Soldier of like other countries are uh, uh, trying to do the super soldier yep. serum and the failures of that and that. I like that the, and that this new phase of the MCU is starting to delve into what in, into that because we like I said we saw that in Falcon and Winter Soldier first and now we're seeing it again here with Red Guardian and I like that it's showing that really like Captain America is such a rare character in <laughs> yeah. the MCU that not not like there's so many people that wanted to be Captain yep. America yep. but they couldn't reach that level for again different reasons and. Um, Alexi gets it has a very different reason for why he didn't achieve that success, but I like that he's obsessed with with that idea of being Captain America yeah, yep. and how that drives his character. Yep. And again, it just kind of feeds into explaining why he is kind of more on the comedic side because he mm-hmm. is that kind of wash. It's more of a washed up hero, and and he does a really good job of playing that that yep. role. Yep. Steve, what do you think? Oh, I love David Harbor. He's a great actor. Yep. And I think. I think with what he is asked to do in this film, <laughs> I think he does as I think he does a good job. Yes, with what he is given to do, there is a he brings a lot of he brings a lot of humanity to a role that I feel like on the page might come across as being a buffoon yep. and a clown. Yep, and. And that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> fair enough, fair enough. Hey, well, my take on David Harbour is probably going to be more in line with Steven in this one. I like David Harbour as an actor, and he does a very good job with what he was given. But we will get more into what he was given later when we get into the spoiler part of the review. How's that sound? All right, gentlemen, let's move on to Rachel Weiss. <laughs> Rachel Weiss. See how he made that decision for us? He asked the question and he said, all right. Let's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Rachel Weiss, who I'm a big fan of Rachel Weiss. Guys, she's 51 years old and she still looks just fantastic. Just wow. What a natural beauty, right? Just wow. You know who her husband is, by the way? Daniel, yeah, Daniel what a couple because they're both in their 50s and they're both <laughs> just incredibly attractive. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Super jealous. Anyhow, <laughs> Rachel Weisz plays the role of Melina Vostikov. And this character in the comic books is a very minor character, actually. So kudos on whoever decided to pluck this one out of <laughs> Marvel's you know, uh, database of random characters. Melina Vostikov is better known as Iron Maiden, also a great name, by the way. <laughs> and she was created by Ralph Macchio, an underrated talent for Marvel back in the day. Not the Karate Kid, Steven. Not the Karate Kid. <laughs> Not the Karate Kid. <laughs> uh, but Iron Maiden was created by Ralph Macchio and George Perez and first appeared in Marvel Fanfare number 11 back in November of 1983. Iron Maiden was a hired assassin who fought Natasha in that debut story. Uh, not only was she a supervillainous guys, she was also a horticulturalist and a spy. Multi-talented, my friends. Basically, her original design 
looked she looked like a cross between the body of Jocasta with kind of the mask of Doctor Doom. It was an interesting design. She then became a member of the Thunderbolts, and she later became a member of one of my most favorite group of supervillains, guys. The Femazons. Mm-hmm. That's right. If you don't know about the Femazons, shame on you. Get some back issues and check them out. It's good stuff right there, guys. My kind of ladies. And... <laughs> Steven's like, why do I talk to this guy? And so she later became a member of the Soviet Revolutionaries group called the Remont Six. Anyhow, guys, Rachel Weiss, Kevin, what'd you think of her? Yeah, I liked her and what she did for the most part, but I think she's the one character that kind of feels out of place because she's here for mostly exposition for the most part. And I feel like once she gets with Alexi, uh, uh, Natasha, and Yelena, I think it's just one character too many on screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm glad that the scene specifically when the four of them are together, that that scene do- doesn't last too long, but it does feel like it overstays its welcome. At certain points, it feels like it's a little too long, um, even though it's not that long at all. And I just think it's just... It's just a case of like one too many characters to to get involved together to work work together. But but again, Rachel Weisz, I think she did she did well what what she was given. And again, it's just it's not on her. It's more on just uh, it's just I think one too many characters what what they what they needed to do. Right, right. So. Stephen, what'd you think of Miss Weiss? Kind of the kind of the same as Kevin. I think I mean Rachel Weisz is a, is a wonderful actress, and I think she did. I think she did a good job with what they gave her to do. It's it is a shame that she is she's an exposition machine mm-hmm. and a and a plot device. Yes, absolutely. For the most part, and unlike unlike David Harbour and Florence Pugh, it you know it doesn't seem she seems like she's playing it like super straight. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't you don't get to see like you know see her having fun with the role, which, you know, you like to see the actors do sometimes if they're in something like this. But I mean, I think, you know, it does, it doesn't reflect on her, mm-hmm. you know, it's, she, she did her job and she did it as good as she could. So I wish she would have had more to do because I, I love me some Rachel Weiss, but you know, yep. I can't, any problems I have with that character are not her fault. Right. I would agree. I'm, I'm very much in boat with you guys. I love Rachel Weisz. She's a wonderful actress. She was not given much at all. Melina is not a character. Melina really is an exposition machine slash plot device to move the story, to explain things to the viewer and to move the story along conveniently to its conclusion. So that's unfortunate that she was wasted in that way. I will say it's interesting to note that on the theatrical poster for Black Widow, Rachel Weisz's character is clearly the second most prominent character on that poster after Scarlett Johansson, which I find to be very interesting. Neither here nor there, just a random observation. Anyhow, the next actor up is Ray Winstone, who played Drakoff. Drakoff, gentlemen, I don't have much to tell you. Why? Because Drakoff does not exist in the comic books. That's right. And let this be a lesson, my friends, of when you let the... Brain trust of the MCU, create their own character. It's going to be pretty crappy. Sorry, that was a bit of me tipping my hand. Steven, what would you think of Ray Winstone in his role of Drakoff? Well, for someone who's not even in the movie, but maybe a quarter of it. Is he even that much? (laughs) I was being generous there. I mean, 
Another actor that I really like, I like Ray Winston a lot. Mm-hmm. I remember I first saw him, I didn't see him, but he was the voice of Beowulf in that, <gasps> that animated movie. Yeah, from yeah. Back right. In like 2009 or yep. something. Yep. Which is still really, I really like that movie a lot. Yep. And people need to watch that. He's just so cool. And he's and he's a great actor. Man, did they do him a major disservice in this movie. <laughs> he, just, he literally kind of waddles around in a... Yeah. In the same suit with his glasses and just and just just basically just says every line boils down to I'm evil. <laughs> yes. And yes. that's about it. Yeah, I once again he does what he can yep. with what he's got. And I hope I hope he's spending that paycheck on something that's worthwhile. <laughs> but man, I was ooh, I was kind of embarrassed for him to be honest. But, yeah. you know, we're not there yet. Right, right. We'll get there. Right. <laughs> Kevin, what would you think of Mr. Winstone's performance? Actually, I was probably a little bit more favorable to, to it than you guys are, clearly. And he, he, he uh, again, he did the job job that he needed to do to make, make the character of Dracoff someone that you just wanted to see get his um, face punched and just get get his comeuppance. And I think that, that that's really what, what the character is. And I think we'll get into Taskmaster a little bit more. But... I think again, he just played played a role well. He kind of reminded me of of Robert Redford's character from Winter Soldier a, a lot, where he's not not really like he's not the main main bad guy, but he is one of the bad guys, and he is one of the bad guys you want to see his, get his comeuppance and all that stuff, especially with what we've known of, of the Red Room and everything Natasha's been put through. So I think again, he I think he played played a role how he needed to play it as just a typical bad guy. I don't. I don't need a bad guy that has a bunch of death or needs to be redeemed or anything. Like as long as it's a bad guy that I feel like I want to see the hero punch him in the face and get get what's coming to him. That's fine. And that's totally fine with me. I don't need super range because again, I think we've, we've complained about how we've had a lot of villains that try and get redeemed a lot in these movies. Like not just MCU, but in general, they they try and like a lot of actors will try and play it that way. And I I like that Ray Winston didn't play it that way. And again, it's just a bad guy to be a bad guy. And that's totally fine with me. So um, with this type of movie. I I think, yeah, Winston's a good actor. I like him. But you know, guys, when he was a young actor, you know, he was in Quadrophenia. It's one of his first movies he was in. Great movie, by the way, and a great soundtrack, no doubt. Anyhow, I mean, whatever. He, it, it, we'll get into it later. Like I said, I'd say Winstone made chicken salad out of chicken shit, and we'll leave it at that and address it later into the in the review. Next up is O.T. Fabenli, and he plays Rick Mason. Now, Rick Mason in the world of comics is known as The Agent, and he was created by James Hudnall and John Ridgway. It first appeared in Rick Mason, The Agent. Very appropriately entitled comic, I guess, in 1989. I do vaguely remember this character. I do vaguely remember that comic. Mason is the son, gentlemen, of the classic Spider-Man supervillain, The Tinkerer. That's right. And in this movie, he's kind of the guy you go to for stuff when you're on the run right he's your supply guy kevin what'd you think of fabenley's role as rick mason yeah, it was fine it filled a role he's really just like the biggest side character of, of this entire yeah. um doesn't, doesn't get a lot of scenes and i'm glad that they didn't like it's a little bit of spoilers but 
he's not a total love interest in Natasha. It's more of a friend, a yep. close, the one close friend that she has that's not Avengers related. I'm yes. glad that th- that's how he played it and how yep. even the, the dialogue between uh, Mason and Natasha go- goes is that it never gets romantic. It's yep. just it's just friends and it's the one friend that Natasha needs in the world. And I'm glad that that's how it was played and because I was kind of worried that they would play it as like this is a love interest and yes. things, things like that. And yep. I'm glad that they didn't go that way. And yep. again, it's fine. He's a supporting character and gets the job done of what what he needs to be doing. And again, he has good chemistry when when um, playing opposite of Scar- Scarlett Johansson's uh, Natasha. And and again, he's just he is just in a couple scenes, but he maximizes the scenes that he's in and kind of get gets over the message of family and friends that yep. Natasha needs in her life. So, yep. Stephen, what'd you think? I thought he was all right. I think he's another instance of not having a whole lot to do. I mean, he comes across as a very you know charming, likable kind of sarcastic but not in an annoying way presence, at least to me. But I think that's more the actor who's doing it. Right. Um, I think he's okay. Just for those very, very <laughs> small part that he has yes. in the film. Yes. It may, it made me be like, huh, that guy's pretty cool. I'd like to see him do other things and have him do bigger stuff. But yeah, I don't know if he'll be back in the MCU. You know, they can't never seem to let a promising wacky side character go to waste. So we'll right. see. We'll see if he comes back, but I would like the actor fine. Mm-hmm. Yep, fair enough. I'm with you guys. I don't really have much to say. It's a tiny, tiny little role, and he did what he was supposed to do. So there you go. Good enough. I am glad that there was no romantic story attached to that. That would have sucked. I agree. Next up is the Taskmaster. Taskmaster was played by Andy Lister. He is a pretty accomplished stuntman who, by the way, gentlemen, was the stuntman for none other than Rachel... Uh, Weiss's husband, Daniel Craig. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Wow. He's, he, he is James Bond's stunt double. Taskmaster is known as, his real name is Anthony Masters, and he was created by David Michelin, who is just iconic Iron Man writer, one of the best, and George Perez. That George Perez, he keeps popping up in here. That, that, that rascal. He, who knew? And Taskmaster first appeared in the Avengers number 195 back in May of 1980. The deal with Taskmaster and why he has the name Taskmaster is he's the guy you hire to train your henchmen. So Hydra, you got some henchmen to train? You hire the Taskmaster. AIM, you got some henchmen to train? You hire the Taskmaster. That's why he's called Taskmaster, right? He's he's really onerous. He puts you through all the paces. He's, he's the drill sergeant. Anyhow, he is one of my favorite villains. He is an excellent character who's really benefited from Marvel investing a lot more time and effort into his character over the past decade. They really have, which is awesome. He's, I loved him in the 80s, but they've really put a lot more time and effort in his character in the past decade and really blossomed into him into something special. No doubt that Anthony Maskers is a complete repscallion. I would say he's in the mold of, of, of the irredeemable Ant-Man. I think that's a good way of describing him. He is incredibly entertaining. He is a larger-than-life personality. He, he's been affiliated with AIM, Agency X, Cabal, Frightful Four, The Initiative. However, he became the big breakout star when, they, when Marvel put him on Secret Avengers. And since then, he's been... Yeah, a member with the Shadow Initiative and with S.H.I.E.L.D. Currently, he is a member of Wilson Fisk's Thunderbolts. That's where we see him currently. And 
Oh, and, and he's also in Amazing Spider-Man teaming up with Black Hands. They, they get paired up a lot yes, right now. That's just brilliant. <laughs> that is just brilliant. And it, it, I love him. I've been reading Thunderbolts, and it's been great. I, I, it's been great. I just love how he's written. He's, he's really awesome. He's got cool powers. He's a master assassin and, t- and tactician. He's skilled at hand-to-hand combat. He's an expert with every form of weapon, and he has voice mimicry unusual power there guys and he has photographic reflexes so anything he sees he can do so he can watch captain america fight he can now fight like captain america i'm gonna ask you guys your impression of taskmaster in the movie there's not much to ask you and this is kind of a mild spoiler so people be warned this is a very mild spoiler but he doesn't talk so (laughs) what kevin what did you think of our Snake Eyes esque Taskmaster. Yeah, I think like Snake Eyes, Snake Eyes Taskmaster is a good way of putting it. Because like, again, this character doesn't talk like I know him from the context. Um, um, and again, I think they they got over like the fighting skills aspect of the character yeah. well enough yep. in this. And like again, Taskmaster is more of the main villain in this. So, and I think that they get over what, what the skills are and that it's a very formidable villain. But I think in general, it just falls back to the villain problem that MCU is continuously having. And I think yep. this is where Drake off is a character that's not supposed to be redeemed. And I'm glad that yep. they didn't try and portray him at, at whereas with Taskmaster, they kind of into more of that of like a character that can be redeemed. And I think that's when MCU, especially comes to villains is at, at its weakest. Yep. Is when they, they, they do that question or any really any superhero movies at its weakest is when they try and redeem the villain. And I kind of wish that they just went all in on the character being this kind of hateable bad guy that you you love because he is very charismatic. He's just an asshole like, yep. and, and wants to just defeat whatever hero he, that he's going up against. Yep. Steven, what'd you think? As far as the, I mean, just the actor, I mean, I understand it's a, it's a stunt man and um, a very accomplished stunt man. I feel like the direction given to him was just watch a lot of Friday the 13th movies and just walk around like you're Jason Voorhees, you know, because <laughs> there's a lot of like where he's moving really slow yeah. and there's like kind of like, it's shot kind of like he's looming and it's like, oh no, the Taskmaster is here. What's <laughs> going to happen? And... You know, I love the Taskmaster from the comics. I think he's a very unique villain. I do wonder if Marvel finally realized that DC has that Prometheus character (laughs) that can take on the whole Justice League. I wonder if Grant Morrison was inspired by the Taskmaster when he made that character. Right. It's it's kind of the same. Yeah. It's just the, the method is different. Right. And they're like, you know, maybe we should actually build up our Taskmaster. Just make him a little funnier, you know? And so... It was kind of a shame that we didn't get that. I'm not going to dismiss the entire movie because something's not like the comics. I mean, I have to dismiss all of these movies. <laughs> that's the case. Right. But yeah, I mean, if this was more of a straight action movie and you actually got to see him more mm-hmm. and ha- see him fight more, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't be as much of a problem. But he literally just shows up, they do a couple moves, and then disappears. Yep. And then they see show him a little bit. He's not really in it a whole lot. Nope. And then once it gets towards the end, it's like, okay, I forgot that he was in here because yeah. <laughs> they don't use him a lot. Yep. 
And so it's kind of like a waste, which is a shame. And that's that's all I'll say about it for right now. Fair enough. The, uh, yeah. Fair enough. And I'll, I'll yeah. add more in the spoiler section. I can, I'll just say, you know, in general, just off the top, I hated this character with all my heart oh. and soul. I, I don't know how else I could say it. It's the most boring, uncreative, uninteresting, bland, generic version of the Taskmaster you could have possibly given us. Like, you had to actively try to give me a Taskmaster this boring and generic. Like, you had to actively try your... Go out of your way to purposely do this. It It's mind-blowing. And I think you're right, Steven. It reminded me a lot of Michael Myers or Jason Voorhees were standing there, looming, and then walking, and then walking. Oh, no, around the corner. There there he is. Oh, dear. We thought we thought we ran away from this guy. And he doesn't move much, and he moves robotically, and the fight scenes that he's involved in are pretty robotic. It's not very fluid. So we'll get more to that later, but, yeah, big, big, big thumbs down from me on the Taskmaster. Then we have, gentlemen, rounding out the cast, we have William Hurt coming back once again as Thaddeus Ross. Oh, William Hurt. That's right. Thunderbolt Ross, created by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, first appearing in Incredible Hulk number one in 1962. We've seen Mr. Hurt as Thaddeus Ross in The Incredible Hulk, Captain America Civil War, Avengers Infinity War, Avengers Endgame, and even the Marvel one-shot, The Consultant. So, guys, Mr. Hurt's back. Did you like to see him once again in this movie, Kevin? Uh, yeah, I, I was like really hurt appearing in, in, in these MCU movies. I think uh, they did a smart, smart thing to keep them from the Incredible Hulk movies. Um, as one of the only things that they kept from the Incredible Hulk movies, obviously. And I, I'm glad because he's a perfect Thunderbolt Ross. He's he, he reminds me of like Robert Downey Jr. being perfect casting for for uh, Tony Stark. This is perfect casting for for Thunderbolt Ross. And uh, again, I'm glad that they keep him around and. And just continuing kind of a story from Civil War and, and things like that. That's kind of why I'm glad that they continue the story of Civil War is because of the William Hurt character. And hopefully we, we could get that into spoilers. But what I think they're going in the direction that they're going with, with that character, I'm excited to see him more in all these MCU movies and shows. Agreed. What would you think, Stephen? I like William Hurt a lot. I don't think they've really given him much to do in a lot of these movies. But it's been nice to see him. I think he gets the character. He's in this in the beginning, and then he's in it at the end. It's not. Right. It's not a whole lot. Right. He's there for setup purposes. You see him at the beginning, and it's like, okay, well, they're setting up what time period this is in, and he's mm-hmm. the delivery mechanism for that. Yep. And then it gets to the end, and you're like, hmm, I wonder, I wonder what this is, what this is setting up for. He seemed like he was doing fine in the role. He didn't really have a whole lot to do, but William Hurt's a good actor, so. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, fair that, enough. That, I, and very enlightened criticism that I just gave. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Steven. I was glad to see <laughs> William Hurt. I'm a big, obviously, I love William Hurt. He's a great actor. I think he's wonderful in the role of Thaddeus Ross. I agree with Kevin. He's just made to play this role. It's just perfect casting. I just, it just, I like seeing him. So I'm always happy when he shows up. It's nice to have those little, those little things that, you know, the little characters that keep showing up in all the movies to remind you that they're all in the same universe. And it's just, it's a nice touch. And, it also is pretty much the only reason why we still know the Incredible Hulk exists in the MCU is because of Ross, because that movie has largely been jettisoned to the <laughs> nether regions of the MCU. <laughs> All right, guys, last up, last up, and this is a very, very, you know, there's a lot of the actors we could have talked about on this cast that have bigger roles, but I had to put this one here because this is the only other comic book character that I recognized in this movie 
and it's Ursa Major. That's right, Ursa Major. Ursa Major, which is a wonderful character in the uh, in Marvel Comics. He's got, actually gotten better as time has progressed. They've done a better and better job writing his character. But Ursa Major first appeared in The Incredible Hulk number 258 back in April of 1981. He's created by Bill Mantlo, amazingly talented writer for Marvel who suffered a horrible injury and had his career cut short. It's too bad. He was amazing. And Sal Buscema, incredibly talented. I believe, gentlemen, Ursa Majors, in the comic book, he is a mutant. I believe this would make the first official appearance of a mutant in the MCU. Am I right, guys? We've not seen any other mutants, have we? Yeah, since Scarlet, uh, Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver are not mutants anymore. Yeah, that, right? would, that would be the case. First <laughs> mutant in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Ursa Major is played by none other than Olivier Richters, who is a massive Dutch bodybuilder and actor. And how massive, you ask? Oh, let me tell you. Richters is seven foot three, 355 pounds. That is a massive human being. <laughs> That, He's Braun Strowman. Seriously, my brain has a hard time comprehending that size of a human being. I've never seen it. Anyhow, Ursa Major, you see him just for two seconds, but I just thought it was interesting from the perspective that this is the first mutant we've seen in the MCU. And, and the only reason why it, we're saying it's Ursa Major is because he's referenced as, quote-unquote, yeah. the Big Bear. Did you like Ursa Major appearing as a tiny little cameo? I didn't even know that that was a cameo or that the, that is a character because I'm not familiar with the character whatsoever. <laughs> so I'm you're like, honest, whatever. Uh, it, it is no, notable for me. if he is a mutant in the MCU. I'm just trying to picture. He's the one that just slight spoilers, but he's the one that gets his wrist broken, yes, right? Yes, correct. Yes. Yeah, that was a fun scene. It was a, that was a fun scene with Alexi, like getting over Alexi's character because again, that's all yeah. all about getting Alexi's character over. I think he did a good job of getting, especially the strength part of the character. Yeah. Yep. Alexi, uh, of how strong Alexi is. And so, I think it was a fun cameo now that you're, that you're mentioning it to me. So, there you go. There you go. Steven, what'd you think? Like Kevin, I didn't even realize that was supposed to be Ursa Major, Ursa Major until later on. So, I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> I mean, that was a big dude. And that when he came on, I was like, oh, I mean, I knew what his whole purpose is. Right, as soon as he right. walked on yes. and I saw what they were doing, I yes. was like, okay, I, I get it. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. He, he is, he's the Braun Strowman to Alexi's uh, Roman Reigns. Cl- clearly, clearly, <laughs> <laughs> clearly. Uh, I, I liked it. Unfortunately, we only see him in human form, so we don't see him in bear form. So nobody realizes that this is a, a mutant with some kind of special abilities. But maybe in the future, guys, we will see Ursa Major appear. You never know. The last comic book thing I want to touch on is is not part of the cast, but I have to tuck it in here anyway. We do get the name drop of Crimson Dynamo in this movie. Yes, we do. Crimson Dynamo, created by Stan Lee and Don Heck, first appeared in Tales of Suspense number 46 back in October of 1963. And basically, Crimson Dynamo is the Soviet version of Iron Man. And gentlemen, you may not know this. There have been 13 men who have had the mantle of Crimson Dynamo. That might be a record, guy. That might be a record for how many characters have played the role of one one code name. I can't think of another one more than that. That's pretty amazing. 
And also Mickey Rourke's Whiplash is supposed to be like a combination of Whiplash and Crimson Dynamo into MCU. Right. Yep. Yep. So there you go. All right. Well, we've covered the cast. It's a good cast. We all like the cast. We all give it high marks. Guys, I want to get your take on the cinematography and the action. This movie, as far as cinematography goes, it's pretty standard in the non-action scene. So really, the action is where you really can get into the juicy bits and pieces of it. Kevin, what did you think of that aspect of the movie? Watching this movie just kind of reminds me of really the difference between the movies and the shows. Because like with the, you guys have mentioned it with the reviews for Falcon and Winter Soldier as well and, and WandaVision, I think the, the MCU has trouble with multi-planes of action when it yeah. comes to the TV shows and trying to tell multiple stories. Whereas with the movies, it feels like it's more natural because again, uh-huh. the, that's where Kevin Feige is more comfortable telling stories with and the directors as well. Whereas yep. with TV, it's a lot more different when you're telling multiple planes of action because you have so many episodes to fill. Yep. And just watching Black Widow, it just reminds me of how big of a difference there is between the movies and, and TV shows yep. for uh, MCU and stuff. So because I think overall, they, this the movie does a good job of that of that aspect of, of this of telling several stories within like the same building and, mm-hmm. and having characters being able to do multiple things, kind of like where Yolanda and and Natasha are doing multiple things compared to like when. We have Falcon and Winter Soldier where Falcon is is fighting fighting, and then kind of Winter Soldier is not given anything to do right. on, yep. outside of talk. Yep. In, in his scene, it's like he's not given something interesting. Whereas here, we do have like Natasha and Yolanda, the two Black Widows of this. Then even like Alexi and, and Rachel Weisz's character. Now that I'm blanking on her character's name. Melina. Um, Melina. Melina. Uh, like each of those four, the four characters, they have something interesting to do yep. in, at least – of, of, of that when it comes to just the actions part of it mm-hmm. and i think again that 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 just what opened my eyes to this of like because i forgot about like i haven't watched an mcu in a while and this is the first mcu movie i've watched since since endgame and yep. especially since watching the mcu shows and so i could it, you could really tell the difference between the quality of when it comes to that aspect of things mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Steven, what'd you think of the cinematography, the action, the way they filmed it? I was, I mean, the cinematography is it's okay. It's funny we bring up the shows because I think in, at least since I haven't watched Loki yet, I'm going to watch it all at once, just right. like the Falcon. <laughs> no, we're not going to get into that right now. Um, <laughs> I think the shows actually put a lot more investment into the actual filmmaking aspect, right. um, especially WandaVision, yep. I think was a lot more like they put more effort into like, you know, showing, you know, doing stuff with the filmmaking and whatnot. So this, to me, it's, it's kind of just like standard MCU stuff. There wasn't really any moment that made me go like, wow, you know, look at that. That's really, that's really neat. Or any kind of clever trick or anything like that, which you know, not every movie has to have it. So, you know, that's fine. My biggest problem with the filmmaking is just that I, I didn't like how the action was filmed. Mm-hmm. I think if all most scenes fall into either one of two categories, it's either they're trying to do the Jason Bourne, you know, very almost like handheld up close. There's a lot of shaking. Yes. And, and there's oh, so many edits, yeah. like cuts in these, these fights. Like there's one that I saw going around before I, I watched the movie. Maybe I shouldn't have said, I should have just seen it myself in the theater, but where it's the first fight with, Black Widow and Taskmaster, where mm-hmm. she's just jumping over him and trying to flip him. It's three moves, but it cuts like eight times. Right. And it's just like, 
y'all, like, I can't see what's going on. It's like the first fight in Captain Marvel where she's training with Jude Law. Yep. And she's literally just, like, swinging something, and he's deflecting it, and it cuts, like, so mm-hmm. many times. Mm-hmm. I'm like, guys, like, come on. Like, this is not – this doesn't I, – I, I can't tell what's going on. Yep. You know, it's not good. <laughs> it's not good fight choreography. But when you can see what's going on, except for only one – there's one action scene I liked, but – if it's not the cutting, it's just bland action. You know, it's just, all right, we're going for the leg sweep again. Mm-hmm. We're doing this moves we've seen a thousand times before in these movies. Just like, man, y'all, come on. Can we do something different? You know, I just want to see something entertaining. There's a movie on Netflix called uh, Gunpowder Milkshake, which I watched yesterday. <laughs> it's not a great movie, <laughs> but it is much more visually inventive and cool than anything i saw in black widow which given that that's more low budget right says a lot you know but i'll say the one action scene i really did like i like the one when natasha and yelena first fight each other Mm -hmm. i thought that one was pretty neat because i mean when they slam each other into walls and stuff i actually kind of felt that i was like "Ooh, all right if this is how it's gonna be then this is gonna be awesome right and then it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. But that's just me. You know, I'm more of a nitpicker on that kind of stuff. But yep. Yep. it just, it was, I don't know. I hate doing the, I agree with both people kind of thing <laughs> when I go third. But I mean, I, I kind of do. I agree with Kevin in that I think the movies are doing a better job of not losing track of characters. And I think they did, in Black Widow, they did a much better job than you see in, say, like Kevin said, with Winter Soldier and Falcon they don't lose track of characters. They always make sure, oh, don't forget, now Yelena's here, Natasha's here, oh, oh Alexi's here, and Melina's over here. Like, we we know where everyone is, what they're doing. We never go too long without touching back to them to, to make the viewer remember, oh, oh, that's right, so they're busy doing this mission while this one's busy doing this mission. We never lose track of characters. They never just drop off. They never get ignored. I like that. Because as we've said before, as we progress to the third act of the movie, it's a team of four people. So the roster grows, right? And they do a good job of not losing track of people. So I like that. What I don't like is, more like Steven, it just, MCU movies all look the same to me. They just, they all look the same. And I'm just getting bored of it. What I like about the TV shows, I think the TV shows are actually doing much better about trying to be unique in their looks from each other which is one of my favorite parts of the MCU TV shows, whereas the movies just, they all are shot the same. It's like, you could tell, plug and play whatever director you want. They're all going to come out looking identical to each other. They just look the same. And the action, I'm more like Steven, the action is either, okay, average, yeah, not offensive, but not interesting. It's just, just, it's average. It's there, it's standard issue action. Or it's just cut all to hell by all the editing where I can't make hide nor hair of it. It's just not very good. I prefer more continuous action scenes. That's what appeals to me. And I know it's hard to do that in an MCU movie where so much of it is CGI and so much of it is stunt doubles and the actors aren't doing a lot themselves in these fight scenes. So it's not like you're going to John Wick it up (laughs) with the fight scenes. I get that. But still, I, I still continue to be unimpressed by the action. Last up, before we move on to the script, guys, and it kind of goes into the cinematography and the action, the special effects. I'll go with you first, Stephen. What would you think of the special effects in this movie? I think they're not terrible 
up until the third act. Because through most of the first two acts, there aren't many that are readily apparent. They have a, tra- right. a car chase, and obviously them destroying cars is CG, but it looks it looks realistic enough. So right. it's like, okay. Right. So I wouldn't say those are too bad. There is a fight in a Russian um, prison where there's a mountain and they have an avalanche. That was kind of, kind of rough, but it was all right. It was like, okay, you know, whatever. Right. Snow, cool. Yeah, the third act, the third act looks awful. There are scenes where you can almost see the green screen in the background. There's an infamous one that was going around on, on Twitter that I found after I watched the movie, so it didn't influence my opinion going in, where um, Yelena is trying to take down this helicarrier thing. Oh, right, yeah. And... She does the backflip off, and Scar goes, no, and it all just looks so fake. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. I think this is probably their worst-looking third act. It might be their worst third act, I don't know, since since probably Black Panthers, which I thought was, oh, yeah. was also a pretty bad-looking yeah. third act. It looks like somebody just rendered a PlayStation 2, like early PlayStation 2 cutscene, and then put the actors into it. I'm like... Really, guys? Y'all have all this money, and this and this is what you give us. I was like, yep. did most of that money go to paying for ScarJo and her to be in the movie, or I don't know. I thought it was pretty bad at the end. I'm really kind of surprised because the MCU usually, at least, is better about that. Yes, you know, but with the CG. Yeah, but I don't know. That's that's just me. <laughs> all right, all right, Kevin. How about you? I actually kind of agree with Steven a little bit uh, in terms of, like, especially the end of the third act with the final sequence, I think, wasn't as top tier as I expect from the MCU. I think before that, before that, even, like, the third act itself inside that, what what is the Red Room and everything like that, it looked looked fine. It wasn't anything mind-blowing like we've seen with other MCUs, because I think MCU has done a pretty good job with in terms of sets and, and what they do with CGI and stuff. But I, I don't think that Black Widow is going to blow anybody away with that. And again, that, that partially that's also the character because the character is much more grounded because she has no superpowers either. So the most CGI thing that she does is her stingers. So I, I think it's also just plays into the character of just being probably the most grounded out of all the MCU characters, at least that we've had so far. And I, so I think the first two acts, they were they were fine. They, again, nothing in this movie blowed me away yep. in terms of, especially when I, from uh, coming off Endgame and Infinity War and stuff oh, like right. that. So it's like when, when you when we've reached that top <laughs> level of, of, of CGI with Thanos and right. all the action that we crazy action coming coming into Black Widow again, nothing. It's super amazing, but again, it gets the job done. I think the only one thing that stands out is just kind of how bad that final scene with Yelena and uh, and Natasha is, and really that's the only thing that stands out of like, oh, that actually wasn't great, but everything else was was just fine mm-hmm. with, with the CGI and cinematography and everything. So, yeah, I, I agree with both of you guys. I thought the first two acts CGI is fine, and it's not heavily used at all. And it's the third act there was it it started to fall apart for me too. As you, especially when you got toward the end of the third act, and I was just like, "Holy smoke, guys! Disney, you got a lot of money. You can do better than this." <laughs> well, I think it, it also just kind of going back to that final, like especially that final what ten minutes or yep. ten yep. fifteen minutes of the action in the third yep. act. Of, or I wish that they could. They can I know they can't do it, but and like Tom Cruise Mission Impossible style. Like I wish they yes. could do some more practical stunts. It's yes. like that would have helped that would have helped that especially that final scene, the final the final scene of the third act of of the action. Like if yeah. they could do it they could they could have done, pulled it off practically it would have been so much better but they 
again it's that so it's like I just follow fallout and like remember fallout the the plane and like Tom Cruise jumping out of a yep. plane of how like yep. you you felt you felt it because he actually did it yeah you don't yep. you don't feel Nata- what Natasha does Great. like not to spoil what Natasha does but yes you know, she has kind of similar scene but you don't feel it the same way that you felt it with no. Tom Cruise's character in Mission Impossible Fallout coming out and jumping out of a plane I agree I think that's one of the big recurring flaws of the Marvel movies is they rely on editing and CGI when a lot of other movies rely on practical stunts far more. And I'm biased to practical stunts. Like I'm biased to continuous shots in a fight scene. Like in John Wick, when you see a continuous shot for like however many minutes it was for the fight scene in the club, that was insane. Like, but you can't do that unless you have the right actors in place. I, right. you know. Yeah, and I, I think that that just goes into like that just MC movies, but also like we see that with Fast and Furious and yep. things like that. I think huh? yeah. in terms yeah. of the big budget movies, I think yep. the only big budget movie that I've seen that pulls it off well is Mission Impossible. Like yeah. really in terms yeah, of yeah. practical yeah. stunts. Yeah, yeah like, I'd say they're, so. They're, I'd, like, I'd agree with that. They got, Tom, they got Tom Cruise. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's yeah. just a crazy person. He is. He is. He'll do anything. I, I agree. He's going to jump from space. You know it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that is absolutely happening, guys. That's absolutely happening. Yeah. Oh. I, I was going to add, I read something earlier about how when they were looking for directors to make this, they approached somebody. I, I'm not sure what the name is, but they directed a movie called Zama that came out a couple of years ago. It was like an indie drama movie. And the woman asked about the action stuff because she hadn't really done action before. And Kevin Feige told her, oh, no, don't worry about that. My, my second unit, they handle all the action for all the movies. And that's why she turned it down. I think the quote was, I'd like to meet Scarlett Johansson, but I think I'd also like to do my own action scenes. Right. And okay. so I think that's that kind of speaks to a recurring problem is that it's the same people who do the fights in all these movies. And they all do it all in post, just about. It's all CGI. They film everything that doesn't involve action. And then they do the... Yeah, do stuff like that in the reshoots or, you know, they render it all on the computer later on. So right. I think that kind of lends to the the problem of the sameness because it's literally the same people. There's not right. a lot of there's not a lot of directorial input. I mean, so, there's obviously some that are, like Thor Ragnarok. I bet Taika Waititi had a lot of input on that. Right. But they need a director like David Leitch, uh, like with yeah. John Wick and Atomic Blonde, because that, that's what this should have right. been, is like more Atomic Blonde yes. uh, and, mm-hmm. and, and John Wick than it was like Captain America Civil War, or like Captain America right. World. Yep, yep, yeah. yep. Totally agree, totally agree. All right, guys, let's get to the part of the review now where we talk spoilers. So here's your spoiler alert, real spoiler alert. We're really going to get into it. So if you don't want to get the movie spoiled, pause it, come back, after you've watched the movie and join us with our full breakdown and all of its spoilery detail. All right, last warning. Now we're moving on. Guys, I'm just going to kind of dig through the movie and kind of start from the beginning and I'll pause it after certain chunks of the movie we review and you guys just give me your input, okay? The movie starts in 1995. We see Nat and Yelena as two kid, as young kids and they're using their little whistle to, to talk to each other and they're doing what kids do, just running around in, in, in you know, the backyard and Yelena falls, gets hurt and Melina appears in the scene and says, oh, you'll be okay. Pain, the pain only makes you stronger. Everybody goes into the house. They set the table for dinner. Then Alexi comes home from work and he grabs Melina and he's like, we gotta go. And Melina's like, I don't want to go. And he's like, nope, 
look, we got to go. I got the disc with the, whatever information I'm supposed to get. And we got to leave now because the authorities are hot on my tail. And Yelena doesn't want to leave. Natasha doesn't want to leave. They like their suburban home in Ohio, guys. They love it there. Anyhow, the family gets in the truck, takes off, goes to an airport where there's a plane, little plane waiting for him. S.H.I.E.L.D. then arrives on the scene. Alexi tells the ladies to get in the plane and get ready to go. He fights off S.H.I.E.L.D. This is where we first realize he has superpowers because he like flips over like some giant truck or tank or something large he flips it over like you know it's a toy and melina gets shot during this whole process so natasha has to fly the plane while melina tells her how to do it and our family makes the great escape from the uh, ohio because planes are so easy to fly even a child can do it there you go they then land in cuba and drakoff is there a young Younger Drakoff is there to greet them. And Alexi, he wants to get his suit. He wants to get back in the game. He's not liked his mission for the past three years of being the suburban life in Ohio, right? And Natasha doesn't want to go back. She doesn't want to go back to the Red Room. And Drakoff is kind of like, what's going on here, Alexi? Your kid, you have control over your kids. And Alexi's like, look, my girls are the toughest there is. The, you know, y'all are tough. Y'all take care of each other. It'll be good. And then the two girls are knocked out and taken away. There we go, guys. That's the big intro to the movie. Kevin, what'd you think? That's the first couple of scenes to the movie, but that's where we start. I should say that the main soundtrack for this is the Don McLean song, American Pie, which is like nine minutes long if you actually listen to the whole thing. It's pretty phenomenal. Anyhow, Kevin, what'd you think with the couple of introductory scenes here? I enjoyed it. This is obviously inspired by like the Americans next show. So, yep. and I like it and just getting over of that uh, Red Room direction that they are just going to do whatever they can in terms of p- putting children and adults together to get whatever information they need. So in this case, they needed to get it from S.H.I.E.L.D. and stuff. They nailed what they were going for here and just the entire introduction of this and then kind of getting into... Like I, I like that Yelena and um, and then Natasha kind of grew up together for a little bit of period of time to just kind of draw that connection between yep. each other. So that it's not just that they're only connected because they were both members of the Red Room. So I, I like that they, they established that early on. So that way, when when they do meet up in the future, what is it like twenty one years in the future or whatever, when they're adults, it, it kind of speaks to why their their chemistry is much more natural. So again, I I, I like that establishment. I think that. It, it, that it did do that. The only thing that this scene does do, which I get into a little bit in the future when they, they on the floor of them reunite, is that it does feel like it's just one too many. I wish it was kind of just Alexi raising them. Right, yeah. Just because, like, Melina, like, Melina just feels like the odd man out in yep. this entire thing. Yep. And this, this kind of starts that, of mm-hmm. this opening, and then just kind of firmly establishes that when, when they reunite. Of like, Melina might have been just one with too many characters because it doesn't feel like her character is substantial enough. And like we mentioned in the non-spoiler part of it, she, she's just there for ex- exposition and she felt very unnecessary, even in, in this opening scene. And I think it would have been much more interesting to see if it was just Alexi raising, trying to raise the two girls. Again, it's not, not a shot at Rachel Weiss's character acting. It's just 
right, stated, right. She, like, I think it's just the material, the material at the end of the day, the material is not there and you could see it early on in this first scene, but the two kids, uh, which, and Natasha, I think they get over how emotional this entire thing is. And yep. I felt like, yeah, they don't want to go back to the red room. Why would, why would they want to go back to the red room? <laughs> and they just, and they actually got used to this family life that they never had because it was taken away from them. And I think just putting all that stuff over, okay, it just, all, all of it, it just establishes how horrific the red room is. And even Alexi's character of like him being, wanting to be Captain America. And he's like, you could see the anger of him. Like I could have been Steve Rogers, but I could, I, I, I wasn't. And I just had to put up with the suburban lifestyle. Why? Yep. Um, I'm supposed to be Steve Rogers. So again, I, I like the, those three, but again, like I said, it's just the one character too many in this. Yep. What'd you think, Steven? I actually like the first, the first little bit quite, well, I wouldn't say quite a bit. I did like it. I thought it was a promising start because it's very, it's very different from the usual MCU stuff. It's definitely, it definitely takes from the Americans. I don't even think they tried to hide that. (laughs) They tried the influence, but I thought it was engaging enough. And by the end of it, when they get forcibly separated, I did kind of feel bad for them. I was like, okay, so this is how, this is how it starts. And when it goes into the opening credits, which are not the usual MCU opening credits, I was like, wow, this is, this is different. Yes. They're showing some stuff that when you really think about it, it's kind of disturbing Mm -hmm. the implication of what's happening. And I was like, okay, all right, well maybe, maybe we're, maybe we're getting somewhere with this. Okay. Awesome. So I like the the first uh, 20 minutes a lot. I thought Mm -hmm. this was the only time that the four of those characters together that I really liked them together because I think they, they all did a good job selling kind of their, what their personality and the dynamic family dynamic is, but yeah. So I liked it a lot. I thought it was a promising start and it's, it's probably my favorite part of the movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Yeah. I'm like you guys. I liked the first 20 minutes. This first 20 minutes I thought was really well done. I was like Steven kind of excited thinking we're going to get something different. It, we should note that in this opening scene in 1995, Yelena is six years old. We know it's a three-year mission. So Yelena, unlike Nat, who is older, she was mm-hmm. three when the mission started. She was, she was three to six. Well, it, right. so for her, it's real. She's mm-hmm. three to six. For Natasha, she's old enough to know it wasn't real. And that explains why the two ladies, as we progress in the movies, have two different views of their family. So that's important to note. It's also important you know. And you know who plays uh, Natasha in this? Is that Mila Jovovich's daughter? It, yeah, that is Mila Jovovich and Paul Wes Anderson's daughter. That wow. she looks like her mom, doesn't she? Yeah, it's crazy. We should also note that the credit scene that Stephen mentions is also well done. It touches on the fact that the Black Widow Ops program. What they do is they find orphans, little girls, orphan who are orphans from around the world. It's human trafficking is what it is. They scoop them up and put them in containers and ship them off to the Red Room. And that's how they get there to become the Black Widows. They get them as little orphans. So... And I, I like that, especially which we'll get into later on. I, I like that part of the Red Room, too, that it's not just a Russian thing, like the KGB yeah. or something like that. It, it is a global thing where they're just like, we're going to find yeah. talented girls and we're going to take them. And yeah. I like that it's, again, it's a horrible thing, but in terms of in terms of concept that it's not just sucks who just rush to <laughs> operatives and stuff like that, Of uh, it's more they're, they're th- the red, red Room as their direction is thinking globally. Of, like, right. we got to we got to get every talented girl that we can. I think that I think back in the day it made sense because it was the Cold War 
Right, yeah. and it made sense for it to be a Russian program because it was the Cold War, and it was all about the U.S. Oh. versus Russia. But the Cold War has long, been long yeah. gone, and Russia is not the main enemy of this country, and it's also a big global, much more, it's just an entirely different world now, and I think it was mm-hmm. smart to update it to, instead of just trying to force the Cold War Soviet theme into yeah. it by just making it more of a global, nefarious, mm-hmm. evil organization, you know what I mean? You know what it did? It made it more of a James Bond style villainous organization. And quantum and uh, right, right. Then a Cold War old school 60s organization. So that was a smart way to just tweak it to update it. It's not U.S. versus versus another country. Bingo. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so like in any Rambo movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, basically. Uh, so then we zip forward to 2016 and we have Natasha on the run from Thunderbolt Ross for violating the Sokovia Accord. She makes her escape to Norway. We then cut to Yelena and another widow on a mission to get some woman. And Yelena fights this woman. And she guts the woman. And then the woman sprays Yelena with some red mist that erases the mind control, the Black Widow mind control. And the woman then gives Yelena a little case full of other vials and tells her to go free the others and then she dies Yelena then carves out a little tracker chip from her leg tosses that to the side and we then see Drakoff being alerted of a deserter Yelena and that it's time to activate the Taskmaster protocol and this is the first time we see Taskmaster and it appears that Taskmaster is either a robot completely robot android or is a cyborg. One of the two, we don't know at this point. What'd y'all think of these couple of scenes? I enjoyed it. I think it does a good job of uh, establishing Lena's uh, skill set and like being kind of similar to Natasha. Um, and she's kind of on that same playing field and kind of get, getting over what the story will be here of going against the Red Room and breaking all the widows free from the Red Room's control. And again, setting that story up, it does a good job. It does what it needs to do. It does it in relatively quick fashion we don't spend too much time focusing on it at least the director trusts the, the viewer to understand that that's what what the story is going to be about breaking free all the widows and yep. and just kind of destroying the red room because again we've had it so many other movies establishing what the red room is through natasha's point of view we don't need to be like re-emphasizing oh it's this horrible thing we already right. got that in the in the opening credit crawl i think just focusing on natasha and Yelena, this is what their mission is going to be breaking free all the widows that they grew up with and stopping the red room cool and it gets the job done and i did like the way um taskmasters introduced of it like him studying what was it captain america or, or hawkeye's uh, moveset hawkeye, yeah right uh, the, yeah it was like hawkeye or yeah. captain america's moveset or both uh, maybe both because that taskmaster does kind of pull out both both maneuvers when, yes. he sh- when they show up so so again it's a good introduction for taskmaster obviously we'll get into like the character as a whole like throughout the movie yep. but in terms of introduction i think they they introduced them introduce the character as like kind of this badass that is going to be a figure that it's not going to be easy to take down right steven what'd you think i thought it was okay i mean the stuff of the taskmaster i thought was kind of interesting i was not a fan of the implication that he's a cyborg yep because i think that kind of ruins the specialness of the character but you know we didn't know that yet but we just saw him doing the studying and i thought that was cool like how he learns basically by watching the the mcu right yes <laughs> <laughs> he was watching the civil war movie and that's right. how he learns so right. that was kind of 
That was kind of neat. And uh, the stuff with the red mist, I will say I didn't think that action scene was handled particularly well. I could see when Yelena swings the knife, it's supposed to hit her. Well, it obviously didn't hit her. It doesn't connect. Because it's PG-13, I know they have yep. to do that. But it was cutty, but when you saw it, it looked like, yeah, this was definitely choreographed to miss, yeah. you know. But yeah. you're still supposed to... Nitpicky, I know. But I'm trying to think about how I thought about the Red Mist at the time that I saw it, not in the context of the whole movie. As soon as I saw it and I saw what it did, I was like, okay, I feel like I know where this is going to go. Yeah. And I was interested to see how it would play into Natasha's backstory because from my understanding, she defected on her own. So I was like, okay, so there must be something else that we don't know. And I was like, okay, well, let's see where this goes, yeah. you know? So yeah, I was, I was still with it and I was like, okay, we're setting it up some new stuff in here. Let's see where it goes. I was still riding off that first 20 minutes. So I was willing yep. to, I was sticking with it. Yep. Yep. I was, yep. Yeah, kind of, mm. I hate to say it again, kind of in between Kevin and Steven at this part of the movie. I didn't like it as much as the first 20 minutes. I thought the Red Mist thing, uh, I was like, well, this seems super convenient and really no backstory at all to it, but maybe they'll flesh it out later in the movie. Right. And at the Taskmaster, I was like, oh, no. that's." I was like, I had a... To quote Han Solo, I got a bad feeling about this. I just was like, <laughs> oh, they're going to screw the pooch on this character somehow. I got a little concerned at that point. I did like, though, Yelena in action. That was nice. We then, after this moment, guys, we go back to Norway. We go to Nat's safe house. We meet Rick Mason for the first time. He has papers, ID, and money for Natasha. He also has all of her mail that has collected from her Budapest safe house and such. And inside the mail, we see that, that case, right, that has all the red vials of antidote to the mind control tucked in with all the mail we do see more importantly than this we do see that rick has gotten natasha a vehicle not just any vehicle my friends that is a fine lada niva that's right and lada it's well played because a lot of niva ladas are russian they're russian cars and what else should natasha have but a russian car well played I, I like that golf clap from me on that one. Good job, guys. We see Natasha having dinner. And what is she watching, guys? Moonraker. Oh, my God. Great movie. Great James Bond movie. We see Jaws in the little clip, right? One of the best James Bond villains of all times. I liked seeing Moonraker. That was nice. And we see Natasha deciding to leave to get some gas for her generator. And while she's in her fine Lada, she gets attacked by Taskmaster. We get a fight. Taskmaster wins, Natasha falls into the river, and Taskmaster opens the case that was in the Lada, right, from Yelena, and it's empty. Ooh, we see Natasha swimming out of the river. Luckily for her, she removed all the vials from the case, and she had them tucked in her jacket along with the photo strip pictures of her and Yelena with it when they were kids. All right, guys, pause it again. Kevin, we've now seen Natasha take on Taskmaster for the first time. We know that Taskmaster is hunting for those vials of the antidote. 
What'd you think? Again, this is like the, the scenes before this of like they got the job done of establishing Taskmaster as kind of like it reminds me of when Winter Soldier got introduced as blowing up Nick Fury's car and and the Captain America Winter Soldier. It was very similar to that, and I, I was fine with it. it again, and I was hoping like it got me hoping to see a Taskmaster in an extended fight. I wanted to see an extended fight with with Taskmaster and Natasha and see what what it, it really feels like when they brawl. But again, it got the job done of establishing Taskmaster in kind of the same vein as Winter Soldier mm-hmm. when, when he got first introduced. So mm-hmm. again, it's more than just about establishing all the characters that, that are not named Natasha in this. Yep. Yep. Steven, what'd you think? I kind of like the stuff with her kind of just chilling out at her at her place. I like her. I like interactions with the agent. It just reminds me of a lot of people that I know who have liked a girl who <laughs> is not interested, but they don't want to be mean. <laughs> so uh, I thought that was kind of funny. But I should have known at the time that showing that she was watching Moonraker was uh, was an omen. Yeah. <laughs> yes, it was. Yes, go. it was. But I thought that was cute, and I thought it was funny that. Or I thought it was cute that she was repeating the lines of the movie in Russian. Yeah. <laughs> as a reminder, yeah. because you know she doesn't she doesn't do the accent, right? So it's nice to as a nice reminder that she yeah, yes she is technically Russian. And when the Taskmaster first showed up in that fight, I mean the her driving and the rocket coming out of nowhere was a surprise. Yep, I was watching and this it just explodes and I'm like oh okay. <laughs> That was unexpected, and well, of course, y'all know I wasn't a fan of that that fight scene. I thought it was too fast to really get into what makes the Taskmaster all that special. He does the same, the pose as Natasha, but really there's no indication that there's anything unique about his mimicry of her. I mean, he doesn't do the scissoring move on her that she does on everybody else Mm -hmm. or any of her other signature moves. It was just really quick. I know it was just to establish that he is scanning her and that's to get across what his powers or powers, quote unquote, right. are. I just, I wish it was better filmed. I wish it was set at a time when I could see more because it was dark. Yep. And I get that. It's subterfuge and whatnot, but the darkness kind of got in the way of what was going on. And of course she escapes. We know she's going to escape. She's got everything with her. I don't know. I just wish they'd, they'd done a little more with that, but it's still, it's early on. There, you got to have a fight where you face the bad guy and introduce them and what they can do. So I was like, okay, still with it. Let's just let's get there. I want to see where this is all leading to. You know, I'm still <laughs> giving it the benefit of the doubt. Right, right. So, you know, I'm like, okay, this is going to go somewhere. I believe in it. Okay, I didn't give you my take on what I thought of Taskmaster. This is the part, guys, where I was like, no, he's not talking. Why? Why? Oh, that was my take on that. That was my take on that scene. All right, all right. Well, we we go to, we then go to Budapest. Natasha arrives at Yelena's uh, apartment. And they immediately get into a fight and try to kill each other. Guys, before we move on, I just want to really quickly, Kevin, did you like that the sisters got into, not just a fight, literally trying to kill each other with knives and bullets when one sister sent to the other one photographs of each other and vials as an invitation to, hey, need your help, and is staying at the other Natasha's safe house in Budapest. And and Natasha arrives thinking that her sister is reaching out for her help. 
Do you okay with them literally trying to kill each other rather than just a, kind of a, a baseball fight or an NBA fight where there's some there's some talking and people just hold each other back and pretend like they want to fight? See, you and I kind of read that scene completely differently. I don't <laughs> think they were trying to kill each other. I think they were just trying to kind of, I guess, more put it like you said, a baseball fight. Uh, right. A bit of just show, like, I, it never felt like they were trying to kill each other. Right. And it was just more like the siblings quarreling with each other. And they had, <laughs> especially considering that, Natasha did technically leave Yolanda in the Red Room without taking her with her, right. or planning out the escape to the Red Room with her. So I understand it from especially Yolanda's point of view of like, hey, you, you left me. We were supposed to be sisters. You're supposed to be my big sister. And and you left me to still be tortured by the Red Room. And then for Natasha, I felt like she was just trying to defend herself the entire time. I never felt like she was trying to kill Yolanda. So again, the reason for the fight, it made sense to me just because, again, they haven't seen each other in a while. And Natasha did technically leave her sister for you several years without telling her or like, because you would think that Natasha would try and get her sister to be part of her plan to escape, but they didn't do it. So again, I understood why, why they ended up fighting, especially considering what the Red Room is. So okay, I had no problem with it. Again, it's kind of just showing that they're both on even playing fields that Yolanda's, even though she's younger, they're very similar skill set. Natasha's a little bit better, but not by very much. So I, I, was, I was fine with it again. It just kind of sets up what their skill sets are. Steven, what'd you think? I don't know if I agree that they weren't actually trying to kill each other. I mean, they were smacking each other into stuff pretty hard. That was a Jason Bourne type fight. Elena picked up Natasha and slammed her into a, a cabinet and the cabinet buckled underneath her. That's how hard they were fighting each other. And I could buy that Natasha didn't want to kill Elena, but Elena, if Natasha hadn't held up the hand when they were trying to strangle each other, then I believe Yelena would have killed her. It does raise the question of why, like you said, Brock, because now that I think about it, I think I was lost in the action scene at the moment that I didn't think, wait, Yelena invited her to come here and then jumped, then jumped her, basically. I'm like, what? what is going on? I read that completely different because Yelena didn't actually tell her where she was or anything. She was hoping that... She even says it that, why did you come here? In that scene, she said specifically, why did you bring the vials here with you? That's not what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to protect them. I, even Yolanda was pissed off in that because Natasha wasn't, didn't do what she was thinking she was going to do. I mean, I, that, that's fair. I guess for me, having known Natasha, I feel like she should have anticipated that she would try, to, especially since there was she put the pictures in there and didn't leave a note saying, don't come here. <laughs> like Don't that. call me. That, yeah. <laughs> Just hide these. It's important. Trust me. And then like a Y or something at the end. So if she knows who it's from, then I feel like she should have anticipated that she would come, especially because it came from the Budapest yeah. safe house. And knowing how important Budapest is to Natasha, I don't know. Like, I mean, it comes down to interpretation for yeah. sure. It's yeah, because I, I was gonna say because it kind of to me it just spoke to how you, that Yolanda is the younger younger sister, and so she was kind of just pr- trying to imply like a lot of things, so which you kind of expect from a younger sister to a big sister. So there was just a lot of more of like Yolanda was thinking, oh, Natasha's gonna get what I'm saying because she's my sister, but they haven't seen each other for a while, so, so that that that's kind of how I read it up, like where it was just a miscommunication on on both their parts. Yeah, there was definitely a miscommunication. That's for sure. <laughs> we agree on that. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this Go scene, ahead, Brock. The, Tell the, me the how scene. you agree with both of us. No, no. <laughs> how am I going to straddle the fence on this one? Hold on. Let me think. I'm not that flexible. No, on this one, it didn't work for me. Yeah. I thought if Yelena wanted Natasha to do something specific, you just write a little note. You, you just send someone some <laughs> random vials and photographs of you two as kids. What am I going to do with that? Really? Okay, I, I know who sent the, me the, these random vials of red stuff. It was my sister because photographs, I guess. But what does she want me to do? And it came from Budapest. I better go back to Budapest and see what's going on. Oh, crap. My sister's trying to kill me. I better. I better. What What is going on? It didn't work for me personally. But be that as it may, it did get over the fact that Yelena is on par with Natasha, which obviously mm-hmm. is what they wanted to do. And hence yeah. the 50-50 fight. We just had to get there. In a way that implied not great writing to me. Anyhow, <laughs> we do learn that the, the red mist is a synthetic gas that can break the mind control. Natasha is informed by Elena that the red room still exists. Natasha thought she destroyed it. She thought she killed Drakov. She did all of that as her final step in, in her defection to S.H.I.E.L.D. There was no body to check after the explosion. And Yelena says that Natasha's forgetting that she also killed Drakov's daughter in that explosion to kill Drakov. And then we have a couple of Black Widows show up in the scene to attack the sisters. And we get a little scrimmage, a little fight. And during the fight, one of the Black Widows, she lands and <laughs> badly injures herself. Natasha goes to help her. And Drakov, using his computer system in the Red Room, commands that Black Widow to kill herself rather than get her mind control erased by the Red Mist or whatnot. At this point... The ladies are on the run, and they run to Yelena's motorcycle. Not just any motorcycle, gentlemen. That's a BMW R9T pure motorcycle. That is not cheap, my friends. Not cheap. Yelena has good taste in bikes. They hop on the bike, and out of nowhere comes Taskmaster in, like, the fastest attack urban assault vehicle ever. Just just destroying everything, chasing them. And the ladies end up damaging that wonderful motorcycle, and then have to commandeer a really crappy BMW X3 M40i that only a soccer mom would even remotely find (laughs) interesting. And we continue the car chase, and eventually that car gets blowed up and lands inside of a subway station where the ladies hop out and keep running, and Taskmaster Jason Voorhees his way into the subway and after the ladies. Luckily, the ladies manage to ditch Taskmaster and make their getaway. During all of this, while they're hiding from Taskmaster, we get a little more exposition on how Drakov's daughter was collateral damage in Natasha's effort to be able to take out Drakov and finish her the final step to her defecting over to America, right? Collateral damage, guys. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. You just can't. And then Yelena asked Natasha why she never tried to contact her after she defected. That's a fair question, right? We see the ladies, they've already ditched the Taskmaster, and they're just kind of like having a little talk as they're trying to regroup and decide what to do next, right? And that's where Yelena's like, why didn't you come get me? Why didn't you try to contact me? What's up with that? Not a good sister. And we'll kind of hit the pause button here because we're about to shift into a little bit more backstory. But at this moment, guys, we've had the Taskmaster show up again. We've had some more action. We learned about Drakov's daughter being killed by Natasha as she tried to kill Drakov. We learned about Natasha thinking she'd already destroyed the Red Room and everything else. 
Kevin, what did you think at this point in the movie? What are you feeling? I'm still very much in on what's going on. I still kind of want to find out what their what their plan is because obviously they're still outmatched by Taskmaster. They're still setting up Taskmaster as this kind of unstoppable kind of Terminator type type character. I kind of wish they did show off Taskmaster's abilities more now here. Like yep. now that this is what the fourth time that we're seeing the character. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it's here where I was just like, okay, let me see what actually Taskmaster can do in an right. extended fight. Right. I kind of wish this is where we would have gotten that Winter Soldier versus Steve Rogers fight. Like Natasha and his want to try and take him take, take on Taskmaster. They're, they're outmatched. And so, again, it didn't have to be super long. But yep. something that just shows that Taskmaster is could actually beat both of them. So again, that that was a disappointing aspect of it. But again, I still like the uh, Yelena and Natasha's chemistry is here what really still drives drives this movie and again drives this entire movie of like Scarlett Johansson and Florence Week just have great chemistry to, yep. uh, together and they play off each other so well. They did a big sister little sister dynamic so well that again I didn't mind it. It was just more of the Taskmaster thing. Now I was starting to get of like, all right, let me see how unstoppable. Taskmaster actually is right, and I didn't get that, so that was where the disappointment came in. Yep, yep, Stephen. Well, I definitely agree with Kevin that I think Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh have a lot of good chemistry together. I like their interactions. This is part of the script that I did like, where sometimes between them, Yelena would ask these kind of pointed questions, like "Why did you come find me?" and stuff like that, and Natasha's answer. Of, well, I thought you were okay. It really gives the impression that she didn't really think about it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> she just kind of left. And and I don't know if, if either of you guys thought this when they were talking about the stuff from Budapest. Yeah, uh-huh. it really made me wish that I was watching that movie instead because that sounds awesome. <laughs> Her and Hawkeye having a shootout for a couple of days with the yeah. Hungarian police. I guess they killed all of them because no police show up while right, there's a right. massive urban assault vehicle wrecking things in, in the middle of Budapest. <laughs> <laughs> Which I know that's an action movie thing, yes, but it's still yes. every time I see it, I just like, is it really bad in Europe? Is that it what, is. <laughs> what's going on? No police. Yeah. None. <laughs> Fend for yourself. That, that's okay. I thought the car chase was okay. I thought another thing with Taskmaster that was kind of disappointing is that he pulls out a bow and arrow, and it's like, oh, he's mimicking Hawkeye. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, he's literally just pulling out a bow and arrow. Yeah. And firing in a straight line at them. This is, not, yeah. this is not as hard as we're making it out to be. But, you know, whatever. I mean, it was all right. I, the stuff that I connected to the most was the dynamics with the two characters. The Taskmaster stuff is just kind of mindless action and like you kevin i would have preferred if they had gotten into some fisticuffs with the with the taskmaster it would have been cool to have seen a two-on-one fight and he still completely annihilates them both yeah but yeah unfortunately we didn't get to get that one i thought it was clever how they disposed of him where he goes down the grate and Mm -hmm. thinks that they're there but they're not really there that was clever yeah it's still at the moment still with it just I'm like, if it's gonna be like this with the character stuff going on, then even if the action isn't great, I'll still be okay. Cool, yep. we're gonna, we'll be all right. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'd agree. For, uh, oh, sorry, uh, I, would, I was actually going to say that I actually did like that they brought back the Budapest stuff, just because that that's something that we saw that established in Avengers yep. and all the other stuff, and just kind of bringing back up of Paula, the most important person in Natasha's life was Clint. 
Yep. Um, and I like that they continue to reference him yep. uh, throughout this movie, kind of which will establish the big thing that happens at the end of this movie. And so, sort of just kind of going back to it, because again, we've, we've heard Budapest mentioned so much throughout the Avengers movies and mm-hmm. the importance of that. And I'm glad that they finally confirmed that that was because it was Natasha escaping yeah. the Red Room and that's right. why she felt like she owed Clint so much yep. Yep. in the previous movies. And so... I like that that part of like at least mm-hmm. the MCU history of like Natasha's character because we knew that it, it meant a lot to her, but mm-hmm. we didn't we didn't know if it was like a regular Shield mission yeah. or if it was more. And now we know that it was actually connected to the Red Room. So I'm, I'm yep. glad that they finally confirmed all that. Yep, I I, I yeah. agree. I liked what I liked about this part of the movie. I liked that they dealt with Budapest. That was great because that's an important moment, and I'm glad that they made it an important moment in her backstory. I. Also, like you guys, what I thought was the best of this part of the movie, again, is the chemistry between Scarlett Johansson and Florence Pugh. It's really good. The chemistry between these two actresses is phenomenal, and I really like the small moments between the two of them. It just feels very genuine. It feels very real. That's the part. Honestly, that's the moment in this movie where I get closest to the movie. It's with these two ladies and how they interact with each other. The action, it was just whatever. It's just standard issue, generic action, generic car scene. Taskmaster, at this point, I I was reaching for my bottle of bourbon and going, well, we're going to drink this Taskmaster away. Maybe I won't remember it because I realize at this point, I'm just getting Michael Myers. I'm not getting Taskmaster. We're not getting the awesome Taskmaster from the comic book that Marvel has put so much effort into growing. I'm getting Michael Myers. That's all I'm getting. So that part was not exciting. For me. At this point now, guys, we then have our two ladies hanging out together. And it's later that evening. And they're kind of just they're just talking and they, they're catching up with each other and letting each other know where they what they've been through, what they've been experiencing, and all that kind of fun stuff. And we learn a little bit more about this red gas. We know that it's been synthesized in secret by an older widow. That's it. That's all you're ever gonna know. That is all you're ever going to know about this gas. That is it. So don't ask for more. We learned that Drakoff abducts orphans and only one in 20 survive the training. And Natasha talks about how her mom abandoned her in the streets as a baby. And Yelena talks about how she doesn't know her real family. So she's created this elaborate fictional history for, you know, Natasha and Alexi and Melina and then the ladies decide it's time. They know what they got to do. They got to team up. That's right. Sister team up to find the Red Room, to destroy it, to kill Drakoff. And they decide that the best way to do that is to go find Alexi. And the two ladies drive out to meet up with Mason who is going to source them a jet. That's what Natasha's asked for. But we find out all he can get them was a busted old helicopter. No bueno, not good. All right, guys, we'll hit the pause here. Our ladies are about to hop this helicopter, go to the Russian jail to rescue Alexei, their dad, quote-unquote. Before I kick it to you, Kevin, I just got to say two bits of comedy 
that we get in here, we have Yelena talking about <laughs> the vest that she bought that has all sorts of pockets and how super cool it is. It's a big deal because it's now she's under mind control. She can actually do things her, you know, for herself. And this is the first thing she's ever bought herself. And she's like, it just reminds me of a little kid, you know, like I got pockets here. I can put a Hot Wheels car here and I can put a pocket knife here. And it is, and <laughs> Natasha's like, okay, okay, Junior. I, no, no, it's cool. It's cool. Because when Yelena realized maybe Big Sis doesn't think it's as cool as she thinks it is, she's kind of like, well, you know, and big sis is like, no, 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 it's cool, little sis, it's cool. That was a really funny, great moment. I, I, I really like that. And the other funny moment was when <laughs> they have Yelena pose like <laughs> Natasha and ask her, "What's the deal when you pose like and you and you flip your hair up like this? You act like everyone's always looking at you." <laughs> Dude, look, I got enough criticism about this movie. I want to point out some of the moments where it made me genuinely laugh. And I thought those were two great moments. Anyway, what did you guys think up to this moment, up to when our ladies are about to go off to the Russian jail to free their dad, Kevin? Yeah, so again, this is more just chemistry stuff between Yelena and uh, and Natasha. And I think they pulled it off well. Again, kind of like you mentioned, uh, Rock, of the pocket stuff and then mentioned the pose. I, I, again, th those are just so fun and kind of going into the, the special the pose thing because it keeps getting brought up. Yeah. <laughs> Of uh, <laughs> Natasha doing that, it, it just plays into like how there's a, so much theatrics when it comes to superheroes. Right, it's kind of like the whole what is it Batman Begins of yeah. theatrics being a key part of Batman's character. And, and again, it's and it's the same thing with Natasha and all her poses and stuff is to throw off the enemy and things like that. That's at least what she says, or gives her time to think as soon as she jumps jumps or whatever. And I, I do like that the reference of, of the jacket and kind of is that. Like it, it's not played into until the very end, but of that, that's the same jacket that Natasha wears during Infinity War, yep. and kind of giving it a little bit more yep. personal connection of why she has the costume that she does in Infinity War, because the Infinity War costume was very much not a Black Widow costume. Right, it was a very different costume, and that kind of explains kind of why she had mm -hmm. that because. Now we have a little bit of more context. Oh, she was thinking of her sister, and she wanted to get back to her sister pro probably by one after Infinity War and gets extradited and all that stuff. So, so again, and it's a nice, fun scene mm -hmm. of like of uh, adding in some history to Infinity War, making kind of what Natasha's mentality during Infinity War is uh, much better because I think that that's what this entire movie does really well is kind of get, getting you into the headspace of what Natasha's motivation is to mm -hmm. um, during Infinity War and the Endgame. Stephen, what'd you think? In this part, I really enjoyed the, like you said, the relationship between the two. I mean, I want to repeat the, the the praise about the chemistry, but I have to because it's really so good. And I really like the comedic bits, especially the stuff with the pose, especially where you know she's in the pose and then she does the hair flip like three times. <laughs> I thought that was really funny, and it really brings up a good point because. I didn't notice that until she brought it up. And I was like, she really does do that a lot. That's, that's really <laughs> weird. But I thought that was hilarious. And I liked that scene where they're talking with each other about what their real families. And you, it shows such the, the wide gulf of how both of them thought about the fake family yep. that they had. And I thought that was really great. It's little moments like that that really make the characters feel mm -hmm. relatable mm -hmm. and, and really connect you to their struggles. Now, one thing that did come up at least that I was thinking about while watching this is that I'm trying to figure out what the implication is here as far as Natasha's relationship to Dracov's mind control because they don't confirm that she got red-misted and that's how she decided she was going to defect. Right. They imply that she decided on her own that she was going to leave, mm -hmm. which 
from what we know about Drakov's methods so far, that that doesn't happen. You are completely under his control. You don't even think. You just do what he tells you to do, and that's it. So it made me wonder, and this kind of plays into a line that Yelena has about how Natasha is the mass murderer that every little girl looks up to. Mm-hmm. It makes me wonder, so was Natasha mind-controlled, or was she a willing participant in all the things that the Black Widows did? Because that's that would be kind of that would be very interesting to explore as to why mm. she did that and what made her change her mind. To me, it kind of just kind of goes back into the conflicts too. That kind of Natasha is the prototype of the the Widow program, and that's kind of what I just gleaned from it is that the mind control stuff came after her generation. Maybe Yolanda's generation, with the because all the widows are younger and all the like. She saw with, with Melina and then the widow that Yolanda killed. They were older and it didn't seem like they were in the same mind control stuff. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if the control stuff came afterwards because Natasha's, the, like I said, the prototype of, of widows. And and she was doing the stuff that she was doing because she was under the influence of the Red Room and she couldn't escape until the Budapest incident. So she had no other escape. And, and she even mentions that, like, that was my only only way out uh, of doing the, of, of that and it seems like maybe after Natasha did the Budapest incident is when Drakoff probably implemented the mind control stuff because he's like, I can't have another Natasha for what the stuff that she did did on me. So that that, that that's at least what I I, I figured from that because it, because it's like he did have later on think about the that she can't kill him, and that was probably the mind, the type of control that he had towards towards all the the widows at that time when Natasha was in the red room. Mm. Uh, at least that's again. That's all I just get from her because sure. it seems like she, Natasha, left when she was in her early twenties. At least the red room, and she defected to Shield. Yeah, it's just. I guess for me, it's just that when Yelena talks about feeling some guilt and stuff, for me, it's like, well, you didn't have any control over what you were doing, so you can only feel so bad for yourself because you really had no control over what you were doing. But Natasha, if she was willingly involved, I mean, there's definitely, I was thinking they were going to go more of a brainwashing way because that's stuff that actually happened in real life. That's what happened with a lot of of agents of like the Soviet Union or even back in the Nazi Germany, how they desensitized people to the violence is they would brainwash them. And I don't know, I was thinking that was what they were going to do. And, you know, I don't want to I don't want to get into the process of rewriting the movie because that's not very fair to the screenwriters. But I was hoping we would get like a distinction on that. A line that Drakoff gave her is how he didn't have to control her to make her do all the things that she did or something like that. But I don't know. That's just an observation. I don't think it makes or breaks the movie, but it was something I would have liked to have seen because I think it would have made Natasha's character more interesting that she realized what she did was doing was wrong and then made the rather extreme decision to take out Drakoff like that. And then now she's, it plays into the whole theme she's been going through the whole time, which is, you know, the she's got red in her ledger. She's trying to make up for it, you know, and there would have been the through line to how she is in Endgame, where she's the, the only one trying to keep the Avengers going because she has to, she's still trying to make up for all that wrong that she did. I don't know. I think it makes it more powerful that it was kind of her choice to do all that stuff than yeah. her being under mind control. Because if it was not mind control, she could be like, oh, I was doing it under mind control. Right. If it, because it was her choice, she knows that 
she wasn't under mind control. She wasn't under, and it, it was because she had to, she had to do those things because she was under the red room's control. Like she couldn't escape that until she did the Budapest thing. I think it makes more, her more powerful that that's why she needs to make up for, for her ledger. Yeah, that's true. I don't know. I might be nitpicking. That was just something that I wonder if they I wonder if they'll get into that. Like what the difference is between her experience and then Elena's experience after she left. But you know, you can only cover so much in two hours, so I guess that's stuff like that happens. <laughs> I would say that, like you guys, the best part of these scenes are obviously the chemistry between Johansson and Pugh. It's fantastic. Those moments continue to, to drive the movie for me. I wasn't really thrilled about how, oh, the red gas, it's just something synthesized in secret by an older widow. Moving on. Like, wait, what? Who did it? How did he do it? What? Like, it just seemed so... Just toss that aside and don't worry about it because we're just, we're moving forward. That doesn't matter. Move forward. It, that, I thought that was kind of lazy writing. And I thought it was lazy writing that they didn't get into the difference between what Yelena experienced in the Red Room and what Natasha experienced in the Red Room. That matters. That's important. You can't just leave that up to the three of us to decide on our own. That's bad writing. So I won't give him a pass on that one. At this point, we've got our ladies in the helicopter going to the Russian jail. We see the Russian jail. Alexei's beating people left and right with, with his arm wrestling matches and talking about his stories about him being the Red Garden versus Captain America. And this is where we see Ursa Major in human form. And he's massive in Alexei is about to arm wrestle him, and Ursa Major points out that, yeah, man, Captain America was in ice during the time period where you say you met him and had a battle with him. And Alexa's like, you calling me a liar? Snap! There goes the wrist as he snaps you know, Ursa Major's wrist. We then see Alexi getting some of his fan mail, and in his fan mail is an old action figure of the Red Guardian, and the head pops off, and its little earpiece puts in his ear. Oh, it's his two daughters telling him, get ready for a jailbreak. And then we get this big, huge jailbreak scene of trying to get Alexi out of this jail. Lots of action, lots of things going on. They eventually get him out of the jail, and they have Alexi on the helicopter, and they're flying off, and the ladies are ignoring him. They're clearly mad at him. He's obtuse because he's like, oh, girls, so glad to be here. So happy to be with you girls. And he's like, why are y'all mad at me? He's genuinely excited to see them. He's genuinely flabbergasted why they're mad at him. And they're like, really? Red Room? What they put us through? And then Yulina starts explaining in graphic detail how the hysterectomy works. And he's like, whoa, oh, okay, okay. No need for that. (laughs) No need for being so scientific. And at this point, they're like, we only need you to tell us where the Red Room is. Find Drakoff. And he's like, I don't know Drakoff. I hate that guy. He put me in jail. Once we were done with our mission, he threw me in jail for the rest of my life for who knows why. He goes, who you need to talk to is Melina. She worked directly for Drakoff. She's the one who's going to know where the Red Room is. And she's located in St. Petersburg. And Yelena's like, well, I don't think we have enough fuel to get to St. Petersburg. And he's like, yeah, we do. And the next thing you cut to is a scene of the helicopter crashing. Not enough fuel, gentlemen. Not enough fuel. And at this point, they all get out of the, the helicopter. And Alexi's still trying to figure, why are these girls so mad at me? He still can't get it. And he tells Natasha to hang back for a second. He's got something important to ask her. And you think he's going to have a big moment with his daughter, right? His older daughter. No, he asked her, Captain America, so did he ever mention me? Did he ever talk about me? And she's just like, it's all about you all the time. She's like, you're ridiculous. And at this point, he's like, ladies, what is wrong? I legitimately haven't done anything wrong. I love both of you. I trained both of you to be the best. And look at you guys. You guys are the biggest successes in the world. You should be happy. Yelena, you are the greatest 
child assassin ever. And Natasha, you became the greatest spy, toppled governments, and, and became an Avenger that you guys have killed so many people. I couldn't be more proud of you two. And he gives them big old hugs. <laughs> it's just, and they're just both, the looks on their faces like, what? <laughs> he just doesn't get it. Anyhow, they then march their way to Melina's house. And before we get to that big scene, I want to pause it. Kevin, what'd you think? Jailbreak action scene. Uh, conversation on the helicopter and the conversation on the walk from the helicopter to Molina's house. What'd you think? I think that a prison break scene is probably like the best action scene in this entire movie. Yeah. And just because, again, it's the multi-planes of action that I think the MCU does so well. And, again, just giving char- each character something to do. And, again, th- this is MCU at its best when it comes to that stuff. And... I, I really like Alexi's dynamic with both Yelena and uh, Natasha, and then they're, they're obviously pissed off with him because they were a family for, what, was it two, three years? So obviously, like, there is a reason why they would be pissed off, and I do like that David Harbour just kind of plays it plays it uh, the Red Guardian as a kind of washed-up hero. Mm-hmm. Of, like, he's still living out his glory days, especially because Drakov put him in prison right after that S.H.I.E.L.D. mission, so he never got that fame, so... He still wishes he got that fame because he is kind of Captain America-esque, but washed up. I like that he's trying to still live out his more days because, again, he, what, he was in prison for at least 21 years at this point. So I kind of get his mentality of trying to still be positive because what else can you do in prison but be positive because or else he's going to be a tortured soul. Right. And we have plenty of those tortured souls in this movie already with uh, <laughs> Natasha and Yelena. So. And again, I like that he adds like a more, much more lighthearted character to, right. to this. The three characters just have a good chemistry with each other and I like that they're pissed off at him and they're not just easy to forgive and, and stuff like that. So kind of playing and, and playing into what the, the broken family dynamic that they have. Yep, yep. Steven, what'd you think? Uh, I thought the action scene was uh, was okay. It was Black Widow. Well, she well she does the pose, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and Elena's reaction to that was pretty funny, I thought. <laughs> and uh, I thought the action, it was okay. It was kind of, you know, the hand-to-hand MCU action, so it's yep. all right. When David Harbour's first interactions with the two of them, I thought that was promising. That was what I was, I was hoping we were going to see for the rest of the movie. He seemed to be, well, obviously he's been in, he's been in jail since the nineties. So he's, you know, very, he's very far back in terms of where his mind is at. And so it was funny to see like that scene with him talking about, you know, you've killed so many people. It's amazing. (laughs) I thought that was really funny. I think the thing about David Harbour that makes him such a great actor is he can say this, this kind of stuff as goofy as it is. And, outlandish as it is and still add that like very real sense of fatherly Hmm. pride to it and so i kind of look at him the way i look at joey on friends where (laughs) i just kind of like oh you're so sweet you're dumb but you're very sweet (laughs) (laughs) right just kind of like tilt your head and just kind of shake it like just smile at him like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think it was a good enough introduction to him. Uh, with the stuff with him and Captain America in the 50s, it made me kind of think, ooh, are we getting the, what was the name of that character? It was the guy who was done up to look like Steve Rogers in the 50s and went crazy. Was it the grand director, the grand something? Yeah. Because he came back in Brubaker's Captain America. I can't remember what his name was. His actual, like, the costume name. I know. Was. 
but I was like, oh, is that a reference to that? That would be really cool, you know, to pop up in a later movie. Right. But yeah, so that was that was kind of neat. I was hoping we would hear a little bit more about that, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but we'll get there. Yeah, it was. I thought it was good. It was a good start for his for his character to come back on. So I was like, okay, you know, we're still. We're adding more characters, but we'll see how it goes. I was still in on it. I was just like, man, this action is so dull. But the character stuff, there's still some life in there. I'm going to hold on to that, and let's hope that this will carry through. Because if so, then this would be like one of the MMC movies I like the most, because I actually really like good character stuff. So let's, let's see where it goes. Yep. Agreed. I'm still uh, hanging on. I'm hanging on, guys. I'm hanging, hanging on. on. <laughs> still got some hope. Good, good, good. I, yes. I, at this point, I liked I liked the prison scene. I thought it was a great introduction to Alexi's character. I liked the big fight in the jail. That was my favorite action scene as well for the whole movie. And I loved all the character work with the two daughters and Alexi on the helicopter. And then as they're walking from the helicopter to Melina's house, I liked all of that. And I felt like, hmm, Alexi's character's got some real potential here. I'm really excited to see what they have in store for us with his character. I think this character can be something really, really interesting. That was my hope at this point. And by the way, Stephen, the character you're thinking about is William Burnside. William Burnside was introduced back in the 70s, and he became the grand director. Grander, okay, that yep. was the name. Yep, 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 that's who it is. All right. Wow. So <laughs> we see our family walking to Melina's house. They, Melina sees them. Oh, my gosh, she's surprised and shocked, right? And we see Melina and the two girls sitting at the table together while Alexi's in the bathroom trying to squeeze into his old Red Guardian outfit and he finally squeezes himself into it, and he steps out, and Melina wolf whistles at him and claps and says, mm, I haven't watched that since the day you took it off or something like that. And clearly Melina still has something for Alexi, and Alexi obviously still has something for Melina because they start talking sexy to each other, and that prompts the two girls, Natasha and Yelena, to go, please, please don't, please don't do this. Please don't do this. Don't want to be here for this. And then Melina reveals she's been working on mind control, for Drakoff, and she shows how she uses her program to control a pig to stop breathing and then resume breathing again. And at this point, Yelena realizes, well, thanks, Mom, Melina, because your work is what created me. The mind control that you created, they used on me and a bunch of other widows. And at this point, Natasha's like, Alexi, you're an idiot, which at this point, yeah, she's not too wrong at this point. I'm figuring that out for myself. And that Melina is a coward, at this point, Melina and Lexi kind of defend themselves that they were good parents, and Yelena's like, you know what? The worst part of all this is the best part of her life, remember she's age three to six, the best part of her life was fake and no one told her, and that to her, they are her parents, and she storms off to go sit in a room by herself. Alexi then follows her. Natasha and Melina continue to talk about the widow program and that Drakoff bought Natasha from her mom and then had Natasha's mom killed, And then we see that Natasha spies that Melina still has the old photo album from when they were a family in Ohio. And Melina reveals that she was cycled through the Red Room four times before Natasha was even born. And Natasha goes, Melina, you were born in a cage, so nothing you've done is your fault. 
nothing you've done, including working with Drakov while not under mind control and creating a mind control system that was used on your daughter and all these other poor orphans, not your fault. Okay. And Natasha said what Melina told her, how pain only makes them stronger. Well, that's what kept her alive all these years, that saying. And then Melina apologizes for the fact that she alerted Drakov the moment that they all arrived at her house. We cut to Yelena and Alexi in the other room. And Yelena's like, you only care about your glory days as the Crimson Dynamo. There's your, there's your name drop. And he's like, Red Guardian. And then they have just a little random little chit-chat that's not as good as some of their earlier stuff about, you know, Alexi's dad peeing on his hands to make sure that the frostbite didn't damage his hands when he was a kid. Thanks, needed that image in my head. And suddenly, Dreykov's forces arrive, along with Taskmaster, and they shoot you know, Red Guardian full of, like, a billion tranquilizer darts because he's a super soldier, right? You can't just shoot one. So they shoot him, like, 28 million times to get him to get knocked out. And Yelena goes through the house and sees that Natasha's already been knocked out. And then we see Melina in her Black Widow uniform. And she's like, sorry, Melina. Sorry, Yelena. And takes out Yelena. Oh, no. Taskmaster then arrives. And Melina's like, let's go to the Red Room. All right. Hit a pause button there, guys, before we enter the third act. Kevin, what did you think about everything that happened at Melina's house? Just kind of going back to my earlier thoughts on, like, Melina's character, too. It's just, the scene is just awkward at the entire time. It never gets, like, it never gets to feeling like, oh, yeah, there's a reason why they're family and stuff like that. And it just kind of goes back into my thoughts of just that. Melina is a character that just is is here to be here for exposition's sake, and that doesn't add too much to it. Unfortunately, even Rachel Weiss does obviously try and do as much as she can with the material she's given, but I do think that her character was just, again, one character too many with this and kind of felt unnecessary the entire time. But I did like Alexi's little scene with Yulana, just going back to their chemistry, because I think, again, Alexi's a great character in this in this movie of, like, his, what his relationship is with the two, with Yulana and, and Natasha. It's just, I think, it, where it just kind of goes downhill a little bit. It's just Melina, again, her character I just never connected with in, in this movie just because of the role she serves and stuff. So, again, it, it's fine. It's, it just gets awkward, and I kind of... It felt longer. It felt like it went on for like 20, 30 minutes, but it was probably really like yeah. what five, ten minutes. Yeah. But it just felt like a long yeah. scene, and I was. I, I just think it, the the scene didn't work when it came to like the family table stuff. So, but yeah. once they got beyond the family table, it started working a little bit. But again, it just this scene felt longer than it was probably. Yes, agreed, agreed. Uh, Stephen, what'd you think? When they first got to Rachel Vice's house, I was kind of I was like, okay, you know. David Harbour's his character is doing okay so far, you know, as far as being engaging with the dynamic. Let's see where they go, and let's see how this turns out. And then they get all around the table. David Harbour has a very, I was going to say, it's embarrassing, like, suit up where he's it's like, yep, I'm fat. That's great. That's the joke. I'm fat. That's the joke. I'm a costume. fat guy. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. It's amazing that he didn't fall down while it was while he was doing that. That's that's some real restraint on their part. Um, <laughs> they, they didn't make him like Chris Farley from Tommy Boy. Yeah. I think when he like busts through the 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 airplane bathroom because he's too big for it. Yeah. Yep. 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 And then they all sit down, and then it 
I was like, okay, let's see what they're all going to say to each other. And then it goes into like 90s, like sitcom family interaction of yeah. Natasha, you're slouching. Slouching? I'm not slouching. Yeah. And then they started going all that. I'm like, oh my God, really? Yeah. 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 Really? Yeah. And even when they split up from that scene, the <sighs> Natasha's thing with Rachel Vice is kind of. I'm sorry. Like, if someone does something for an evil individual who kidnaps abandoned children around the world and trains them to be deadly assassins completely under his control and murders the ones that don't pass his disgusting tests, and they do it while not being mind-controlled, then they are a terrible person. Yeah. I'm sorry. That's just what it is. You know, know, we didn't give the, the train conductor at Auschwitz a pass. Right. For, well, I was just doing what I was told. It's right. like, no, you still did a lot of horrible stuff. And the fact that, you know, well, it's okay, Rachel Vice. Your name is on the poster, so you're okay. Right. It's just like, no, that's not that. Mm. And had they gone the way of, well, she's actually really the main villain here. I thought that would have been really interesting where yes. Natasha and Yelena have to fight their mother who is completely brainwashed into believing this is the right thing to do. That would have been really cool and really neat. Unfortunately, that's not what happens, but the worst part of this is relegated to David Harbor and that, and you brought it up, yeah. uh, Rock, the scene about him and his father and how, you know, they'll keep from frostbite, he go toilet. <laughs> oh, <laughs> no. So, like, no, no. Is this really happening right now? Seriously? Uh-uh. And Yelena's expression was my expression. She looks <laughs> she's literally just like, oh, my God, this man is still talking right now about... <laughs> His father yeah. going toilet on his hand. Yeah. And this is not cute, like in the way that dads can be embarrassing, kind of cute. Not to me. This reads like one of those scenes in an Adam Sandler movie where, yes. like, they let them ad lib. Yes. And they just pick the worst take for yeah. some reason. And I was just like, wow. You know, I wouldn't say the script was amazing up to this point, but it was better than this. Right. Yes. That was, yeah. Oh, that was just pretty bad. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm, look, I agree with Kevin that Melina's character at this point, it just doesn't make any sense. And it's, it, yes. it, it feels very awkward. It feels very mm. awkward. The family dynamic is not there. Having Melina telling Natasha to sit up straight, don't slouch, it, it never feels normal. It doesn't feel as natural as when Alexi first sees the two girls. That felt more right. natural. The Melina seeing the two girls, it never feels natural. The family dynamic at the table never feels natural. Steven, you're right when you say it's like a bad 90s sitcom with the dialogue. It's just not, it's just not good. So poor, Melina's character is just, it, it's obvious that it it's not needed and it's, doesn't mesh with any of the characters at all in the story. And cause that's cause she's a plot device and the exposition machine. And unfortunately at this moment, I also realized that Alexi's character, we're not going to get what I thought we were going to get from the prior scene. Instead it laugh at the fat guy. Okay. And he's stupid. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's, that's literally it. He's stupid. We're done. 
he's stupid. Just mm-hmm. laugh at the fat man. He's dumb. And that was really disappointing too. Like, oh, I thought we were really on the way to getting something interesting. And it, nope, nope, nope. That didn't happen. So that disappointed me as well. I didn't think about Melina being ending up being revealed as the real villain. But that would have been so much cooler because Melina is far more threatening and imposing of a character than Drakoff could ever ever possibly hope to be. I think Melina being the villain would have been pretty badass because Rachel Weiss, she she made Melina seem for a while there pretty creepy, you know, with the pig mm-hmm. controlling the pig, making it not not breathe that was that was pretty intense and again once again disney you know look they're they're female this is they've been doing in recent histories their female characters can be heroes or they can be victims but they can't be a villain no 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 cruella you thought was you thought cruella was a villain she was just a victim guys maleficent a villain just a victim guys i mean scarlet witch a villain just a victim guys same thing about lena just a victim. No, not a victim. You should not feel bad for her. She's an objectively horrible person. And uh, there's no way at the end of the movie you're going to get me to agree. Yay! You're a nice person. Not going to happen. So, we then finally arrive at the third act of the movie. Guys, we're on. We're at the Red Room. We have Melina meeting with Dracoff. Yelena's about to get a lobotomy. Alexi's in a cell, and next to his cell is Natasha in a cell. We cut to Drakoff talking to Melina, and he reaches to her face and pulls off. Oh, it's one of those fancy-dancy cybernetic mask thingies. It's really Natasha. And then we have Alexi in his cell apologizing to who he thinks is Natasha. Quite the eloquent speech. And suddenly his cell door opens, and Natasha pulls off her mask, and it's Melina. And Melina says she designed the cells herself. That is Really convenient. Good to know. And Melina then talks to Yelena via an earpiece that she put into Yelena's ear. Melina tells her that she placed a knife in Yelena's pocket. Yelena pulls out the knife, frees herself, takes out the doctors. And then Alexei thinks he has an earpiece in his ear, even though... Guys, I mean, in all seriousness... I don't know how stupid you'd have to be to not feel, physically feel an earpiece in your ear. But he puts his finger up to his ear and starts talking to Natasha through the earpiece, telling her the same speech he just told Melina in the cell next to him. Until Melina goes, you don't have an earpiece in your ear. He's like, I don't? Well, of course you don't. That's why you don't feel it in your ear. It's like a new level of stupid with this character now. At this point, I'm just like, you could kill him off now. You could just kill him off now. There's no point to his character anymore. And so we see we see Melina. We get a little flashback to Melina's house where Natasha and Melina hatched their big plan to do the switcheroo and, and, and pull off this big escape. Okay. We then cut back to present day and Melina tells Yelena to go get the vials of the antidote. They're probably in cold storage. Drakoff is... We go back to Drakoff and Natasha talking and Drakoff just drones on and on and on and nobody really cares at this point what he's saying because it doesn't matter. And Drakoff has Taskmaster there in the room and tells Taskmaster to take off his helmet and oh, wouldn't you know it, Taskmaster is in fact Drakoff's daughter, Antonia Drakoff, 
who Natasha thought she killed when she blew up Drakoff's residence. Rats. Wasn't successful. And we then find out that she is officially a cyborg, more machine than human, and then Drakoff sends Taskmaster off to do his bidding, and Natasha pulls out a gun on Drakoff and says, stupid to send away your daughter. She's the only thing that could have saved you, but she can't pull the trigger. And then she tries to punch Drakoff, and she can't punch him. And at this point, guys, I at this point, I just... Saw that bottle of bourbon and said, screw it, we're drinking the whole thing because nothing matters in this movie anymore. Because Drakoff reveals his pheromones prevent Natasha from hurting. Uh, no, you didn't miss pheromones. That's right. At this point, I just feel like they should have just made it a chip. Just make it a chip. Computer chip. I, I, I live with computer chip. I can live with that. Pheromones. Woo. Okay, let's pause it here. Guys, what do you think of the third act so far? Kevin, go. Uh, yeah, the, the third act was was fine. I think this is where it gets kind of the disappointment. Taskmaster just plays a big big role into this. I wish we would have gotten into some sort of badass fight sequence with Taskmaster here, but he's just relegated to throwing Alexia around for a while, but then Yelena just comes in, throws him in a cell, and that's so. Uh, that was disappointing, and then and I do agree with the whole Alexei trying the speech twice, not working as well as it should. I, I do like. I wish he wasn't played as a bumbling buffoon as much as he is, especially in this scene. I yeah. think it worked, and I, I, it worked better when she, he was actually talking to Natasha and Yelena. Obviously, just because again he was able to play, actually play off those two characters earlier, whereas here it kind of, he does just kind of sound like a buffoon, and it doesn't work. And I and it just goes back to like. Really, no other character outside of Natasha and Yelena are allowed to be badasses in this movie. And again, Yelena and Natasha, I, I do like Natasha's whole plan of like how she got close to Drakov and er- everything like that. And that she actually knew about that or, or that we got that flashback of her actually playing things out with Melina. Just again, going back to Natasha actually being, even though she doesn't have a superpower, her superpower is her mind that she has to outthink everybody that she goes up against, even if it's a character that she could obviously beat. Beat, there's obviously so, something that will prevent her from doing that. So, again, I, I just like that. Again, continuing to play into Natasha, why she's such a great character, why she's why she is able to stand up to, even though she doesn't have a superpower, she's able to stand up equal footing with Captain America and the others because, again, she's able to outthink the room. And, again, they, they do play, play well with that, I think, the disappointment is that with Taskmaster and Alexi's character too in, in this scene of they, it just doesn't work, unfortunately. And I, I wish it would have because Taskmaster is such a great badass character. Yep. And it would have made the reveal of Drakehouse's daughter um, being Taskmaster better if mm-hmm. we actually got to see Taskmaster be a badass because I think that's the biggest thing that's holding the character back. Because, yep. again, the reveal is cool. Some more personal history of why Taskmaster would go after Natasha. Yep. But... We just never get to see Taskmaster. Oh, like, what is it, Olga? I always mispronounce her last name, but oh yeah, it's uh, yeah, Olga Kurylenko. Yeah, Kurylenko. Yes. She she's a great actress. I love her from especially from Quantum of Solace and everything. Another another Daniel Craig tie. Indeed, <laughs> indeed, there. they're everywhere. So again, she play like I like the the whole like the backstory of the character and the motivation of the character. It's just yeah. I wish we would have gotten to see the character as badass as everyone talks talks her up to be as mm-hmm. Taskmaster. We just never get that. And I think that's where this 
part of the movie falls apart because we don't get that badass Taskmaster. We don't get the badass Black Widow side yep. of things. Yep, yep. Steven, what would you think at this point? We've learned about the pheromones and we've learned about Taskmaster. Go. Mm-hmm. The first thing that I realized, and this is something I did watching it because I saw it in the theater with my dad. The moment that they pull up on the Red Room and it's not like what you think where it's some underground oh, facility right. that no one can find because it's underground or whatever, which is what I was expecting. No, the Red Room is a giant satellite thing that is floating in a cloud that has apparently evaded all detection for the past 60-some years, even though there are satellites everywhere in space. Yes. It's just avoided all. They they can't find it. It has a Klingon cloaking device, Stephen. Yes, that's right. That's right. And that's the moment when I was like, okay, I understand the first two acts, like they were like really trying to be that gritty Jason Bourne style action movie. Oh, yeah. And then they pull up on this place and I was like, oh, God. Yeah. This is not a Jason Bourne movie. It's Moonraker. This is a bad, it's Moonraker. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, this has gone like... I don't even know because I kind of like Moonraker. I was oh, like, I did this too. Is I did too. On, like a view to a kill territory, <laughs> or, or live and let die, or oh. really goofy, bad Roger Moore. Uh huh. It's like you gotta be kidding me. Yeah, yeah. I I understand that we have to fill in the the MCU structure of we have to have something blow up. Yes. And fall from the sky yeah. again. Yes. But I'm like, man, y'all could have saved a lot of money. And had a really cool like set pieces if you had just put it in a set underground yep. and not worried about blowing it up. Yeah, yeah. But that's okay. Okay. And so the next thing, the switcheroo that they do, of course they did that. That must be their non-dimension impossible with the the face masks yes. and stuff. Yeah, and they did do it in the Winter Soldier because I remember oh, at yeah. the end when he thought the old lady was like, "Oh wow, it's a badass old lady," and then uh-huh. that was just Natasha, <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. which kind of came out of nowhere because now Rachel Vice is a good person for some reason, even yep. though we don't whatever. And I like how they go back and they do like those flashes, like to explain how it happened, as if it's supposed to make it make more sense, but. It's, it's, it still doesn't make sense. Like, why did you decide you were just going to be helpful now, Rachel right. Weiss? This right. makes no sense. Right. And I was just, oh, my gosh. But, okay. So I'll do the thing that I thought was the dumbest last. I know the thing with the Taskmaster is controversial with some people because, wow, they took the Taskmaster and they made her a woman. And then, you know, people throw their arms up and blah, blah. I don't care about that. I like a lot of movies that are action movies that have female characters in there. Atomic Blonde. I like that one. What was it with what's her name? The one who got fired. The off one with what's her name? The one with what's her name? It was Gina Carano's debut before we found out that she was. Uh, oh, in the Expendables. No, in Haywire that she did. That was her very oh. first thing. Wow. Soderbergh directed it. Haywire. Okay. Yeah. And I thought that was really cool. She was beating up a lot of people and stuff, and it was fun, you know? It's like, so I like stuff like that. My problem is that, first of all, the CGI of putting her head on that guy's body Ugh, is awful. <laughs> and I just, if it was just her, and I kind of like the backstory of 
you know, Dracov Frankenstein her back together and then turned her into a slave, basically, of him. Like, I can go with that. That's interesting. That can be neat. But once again, and you brought this up, Kevin, you don't really get to see her be a badass because she never fights without the helmet on. So you're still just thinking, oh, it's that guy, the stunt guy as the taskmaster. But there's also, you know, she doesn't talk, nope. really. Um, so you don't really get any character. Her, her character is told to you yep. by Natasha, who makes a lot of assumptions about about her. <laughs> yep. You know, when she's loom- when the taskmaster is looming over her like Michael Myers, it's like, no, it's okay. You're not going to hurt me. I'm like... You have no reason to believe that. I'm sorry. That's just nuts. My problem is that they took out they took out all the interesting parts of Taskmaster's character. He doesn't talk, or she doesn't talk, so she's not funny. Everything about her is cybernetic, so it's not like she was a metahuman and special in a way. But then even with all that, they don't really show her using anybody else's powers. Like, yeah. yes, they show her popping out claws like Black Panther, but it's like that's just claws it's not anything that's specifically related to him he's not fighting like him he's not fighting like captain america he just has a shield you know it's and he tosses it like and yeah he tosses it like captain america but it's not really anything specific you know and i get that that's tough because you would actually have to invest in real fight choreography (laughs) to shift the difference but that's just that so that's really disappointing. Yeah, my problem with Taskmaster, I don't care that it's a woman. I think that could have been interesting and cool, but the the problems with that are not that it's that it's a woman, but she's a woman. My biggest problem with this entire sequence is Ray Winston's pheromones make it so you can't punch him in the face, which is the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard in my entire life. It's just... It's so utterly convenient that this is the the reason that not, Natasha can't even shoot him. She can't stand further back from him and just pull the trigger on him. You know, it's like, what is the range of this power? Could could she snipe at him from a distance or would the pheromones reach her? <laughs> or could she, like, drop a grenade in his general vicinity? Would that not work? It's just... There had to have been some other way. That would have been how, like, if Natasha wasn't, you know, didn't have those nanites or whatever to take her over, that they could have used, oh, well, I brainwashed you, so I'm activating an old code like the Winter Soldier. And they brought up how the Winter Soldier program is connected to the Red Room earlier on in the movie, so it would have made sense that, yes, it's in there, and that they're connected, and that... Natasha is still kind of under his control in a way. Mm-hmm. And that would have, that would have lessened my complaint of, well, what's really the difference between Natasha and Elena's time? It would have done all that. It would have been a simple little thing they could have changed. And they didn't, and for some reason they didn't take that step. I don't know why, but they went with pheromones. Now I, I I don't get that. I don't know who thought of that. I know that's Spider Woman's powers, but that's never stopped anyone from punching her in the face in the comics. Yep. So I don't I don't really get it. That's like that's really baffling. Like when I came home and I told my roommate about it, like I had a big long spiel about how I just didn't understand why 
pheromones. <laughs> no. So I don't know that this was the, this was the point, this part right here, the beginning of the third act was where I was like, okay, there's no hope anymore. <laughs> I just have to write it out and hope that it doesn't get any worse than this. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, yeah. Yeah. The pheromones was sure. probably the lowest point of the movie for me. I just thought that was unbelievably stupid. I, I, I don't have the words for how idiotic I found that to be. That's, that was just a wretched, there was no reason for that. It was unintentionally hilarious. I'm laughing during this moment when I probably shouldn't be laughing because it was so moronic. That was yeah. hor- cringe-inducing. And when something's cringe-inducing, someone in the writer room should have been like, yeah, well, let's not do that. Let's not do that, guys. Yeah, I already didn't like Taskmaster up to this point, so the reveal didn't do anything for me. Don't care. Look, making him a female isn't necessary. you got tons of female characters in the Marvel Universe. You want a female character? Pick one. There's like a billion of them. You don't have to flip Taskmaster. Pick one. It ain't that hard. So that's lazy writing, in my opinion. Lazy writing. Just pick one. Like I said, Marvel's got tons of them. But even worse than that, it's just a lame character. Even if this was originally supposed to be a female character, it still sucked because she's got no personality. Never talks. Incredibly boring. Powers aren't used impressively at all. Again, it's just the most dull, generic villain possible. The Taskmaster is a bowl of tapioca pudding and nobody wants it. That's what that is. It's just awful. So, uh, yeah, at this point, everything is falling. And of course, Alexi, the way they handle him, he's just an absolute moron now. I don't know why he's even in the movie anymore. And Melina, you were literally been working for Drakov from 1995 to now in 2016, you've been working for him the entire time, building him everything he needs. You built him the cells in the red room. You built him his mind control technology. Why all of a sudden does she just do a full 180 and decide to destroy the red room and kill Drakov? What happened? Oh, that's right. The writers didn't show you what happened. It's just the writing just everything fell apart in the beginning of this story. I mean, literally everything fell apart for me. This is just Horrible writing from top to bottom. All right. Well, guys, we cruise to the end of the third act. And essentially what happens is Alexi battles Taskmaster while Melina continues on with her part of the mission. Natasha goes Drakoff into punching her in the face. The reasoning is if he breaks her nose, she won't be able to smell his pheromones. And then she'll be able to hit him. Uh Then... We have Drakoff telling Natasha that he built his power by using the only natural resource the world has too much of. Girls! It's like this character is so cartoonishly bad. And we then finally cut to the the chase. Natasha, because Drakoff is such a wuss, his punches are so wimpy, he can't break her nose, so she has to break her nose herself on his desk. Okay. And he's like the lamest villain ever. Dude, you use pheromones and you can't even punch someone hard to break their nose. It's not even that hard to break a person's nose. Okay, anyhow. We then cut to Lena finding the antidote. Woo! And we now go to Alexi still finding Taskmaster. And we go to Melina ar- arriving 
with the fight with Taskmaster and Alexi, and they get Taskmaster to fall into the cell and close the cell door. So Taskmaster, you're over here. You're done. We then cut to the widows arriving to help Drakoff make his escape because Natasha, now with the broken nose, she can beat him up, and he's toast. So the widows have to arrive. We get a big fight between Natasha and the widows. The widows, of course, there's a lot more of them than Natasha. So they get the upper hand and they start whooping up on Natasha. And then Yelena arrives and does a cool little move and whoo, unleashes all the va- the vials of, ser- of antidote in it. They shower over the widows. They're all now free. Okay. We then see Melina drop a bomb into one of the main engines of the Red Room. Boom. Now the whole facility starts to fall out of the sky. It's now crashing. Everyone's got to make a mad dash for it, right? It's blowing apart. Everyone's diving through the wreckage. And as Natasha's trying to make her way off the Red Room vessel, she passes the cell where Taskmaster is, and she can't help herself, even though she knows the Taskmaster hates her, is going to attack her. She's got to free her. She doesn't want her to die. Okay. Well, luckily... Red Room keeps falling apart, and the two get separated in the wreckage, right? Natasha goes one way, Taskmaster goes another way. We then see Drakoff and his soldiers on a helicopter. They're about to make a great escape, but Yelena hops on top of the helicopter and jams her staff into the engine, causing it to blow up. Drakoff is now dead. The explosion sends Yelena flying off the whatever part of the satellite she was on, and she's hurtling to her doom. But like Dominic Mendam... I can't which movie it is. Is it four? Is it five? Six? I don't know. When he dives through the air to catch Michelle Rodriguez before she falls off the bridge and holds her and yeah. they land onto a, a, a vehicle. <laughs> well, yes, Natasha does her best dom and she grabs a parachute and dives after <laughs> Yelena, catches up to her somehow, puts the parachute on her, shoom, activates the parachute, and then we see the Taskmaster and she's diving her way toward Natasha. So Natasha lets go of Yelena so she can parachute to the ground. Natasha and Taskmaster grab each other in midair and they're hurtling, hurtling, hurtling. And then Taskmaster gets her parachute to go off and they somehow make it to the ground without dying. Where they can continue their fight. And at some point, Natasha finally gets the uh, Taskmaster to remove her helmet and sprays her with the red mist. And now her mind control is broken and she collapses to the ground. Whew, all right. We can all breathe now, guys. The bad guys have been defeated. Natasha, Yelena, Alexei, and Melina all unite. We see S.H.I.E.L.D. and the American military are on their way, which makes me wonder, guys, right here, has the Red Room been floating above American soil this whole time? What (laughs) the hell? That cannot be the case. That's insane. And a jet arrives with all the freed, freed widows. And Yelena, Melina, and Alexi go with the freed widows. And the widows also take Taskmaster with them as well. Natasha walks away. The sisters do their whistle thing to each other. The jet takes off. And two weeks later, Natasha meets up with Mason. He actually, this time, doesn't have a busted old helicopter. He's got a really nice jet for her. And she is off to break out some of the ex-Avengers out of prison that is the end of the movie. Kevin, what'd you think of the big conclusion? It, it, it was fine. It's not anything that's going to be something that I remember at all, to be, <laughs> to be honest. It's, it's kind of, it is like, it kind of does remind me of the, the sport man I had with the, the final fight in Cap- Captain Marvel, where it's oh, kind of, yeah. 
it just kind of ends and yeah. this kind of very very much feels that way but it's more extended because of like i mentioned before of like but how taskmaster's taken out is yep. very very quick and it's it would have it would have made more sense how if we actually like if we actually saw taskmaster be a badass throughout right. the movie and things like that or like okay they're they're all tired and natasha's able to outsmart outsmart taskmaster at this point right right um, finally right. but just because we just never got that the payoff just never feels worth it and unfortunately right um, yeah so as much as like i like natasha's character as much as i like how she figures out how to win the day and stuff like that. I think it's just more of like this, that second, second half of the, this party is not like, it's not equal, equal grounds. So I think it's just more of like the failure of the taskmaster character as a whole. Yes. And the disappointment with that character. Yes. Is where like this entire movie fall, like falls apart in terms of just like, as I enjoy every, like I enjoy most of the characters. It's just the taskmaster character that I'm just like, yeah, he just didn't end up working at the nope. end of the day. Nope. Nope. When he should have been, he, when Antonia should have been this kind of Bucky character of like this incredible badass Terminator uh, yeah. character, like Winter Soldier, where yep. he felt like it, it, she's unstoppable as whenever she's in Taskmaster form, but she never felt that way. She no. never got an opportunity to feel that way, which is incredibly disappointing because Taskmaster is supposed to be this badass character yes. that is supposed to be unstoppable, like very hard to fight. Like, yeah. And yep. Yep. it, sh- it should have been. And Natasha needed to figure out how to, a clever way to defeat her. Yeah. But she, she was never given that opportunity because that test measure wasn't built up, unfortunately. Unfortunately. Yeah. And I wish that wasn't the case. And I wasn't sure about, like, uh, that they were over the United States because, like, Natasha was getting hunted all over the world, it seemed like, from the beginning. So I wasn't sure if that was the United States or if it was somewhere in Norway or whatever. Right. But it just felt like it was just a generic place or, like... Where, where she was in Budapest or whatever, because I never thought it, it was implied that it was the United States. But but anyways, I think it that part does nicely wrap up, like where Natasha was on her run and that right. she's obviously going to escape. And yep. because we, it, it, this is the unfortunate part of that we already know what her end, the end of her journey is. Yes. So we yeah. know she escapes. So it kind of takes away from from that aspect of it that we don't know if she's going to get locked up with the rest of the Avengers or that Civil War or that Steve Rogers needed to break her out and stuff like that. So I kind of just almost wish that they would have been able to get Chris Chris Evans in a cameo role here where Chris Evans just appeared and then that this is where she teams up with with Steve Rogers instead and this is where they just take off instead. Mm -hmm. I think that would probably work better than her getting what seemingly captured and then escaping. Yes, just because again they mentioned Steve Rogers a, a few times in this throughout this movie of like he's yep. the only other Avenger that escaped there like from the and uh, we know that they break each other they help break out the other new Avengers and so I kind of wish that that was the case from here where like Chris Evans did cameo here here and that this is where they team up and go off and right I think that would have been better than Thunderbolt Ross coming showing up at the end so agreed but. Uh, again, it, it's it's just like disappointing because I did enjoy enjoy the movie up to this point. Like I did right. really enjoy the movie up to this point. It's just the disappointment with Taskmaster as a whole. Yeah, like, drops the ball. Yeah, no, no, fair enough, fair enough. Uh, Steven, what'd you think? I agree with you, Brock. The scene with Natasha and Drakeoff is so is so funny and borders on parody so much that I was almost. I imagine in my head a cut where once Natasha gets freed, that "Who Run the World" girl song by Beyonce started playing <laughs> when she finally started taking him out. Uh, it just had that very, you know, because I mean, literally, when he says "There's too many girls," just that this is like an after-school special villain. I can almost imagine him being like the grown-up version of a bully from a sitcom. 
Yeah, yeah, that was a bit yeah. much. Yeah, I mean, when he goes into his speech, there's almost a point where it could have been really poignant, talking about all the abandoned children yes. and stuff in the world. Yes. It's like, wow, he could have, this. they could really go into something here and whatnot. They, they don't do it. No. But I was like, okay, so my big problem with stuff like this, and I know it's an action movie. Well, we already know Black Widow was going to survive, so she's sure. got plot armor, basically. Yeah. She's not yeah. going to die, at least in this movie, is that they're in a big satellite that is huge, and their plan is to blow it up and just drop it on the ground. <laughs> And yet, Natasha dive bombs out of the sky. She didn't get into a charger like Dom, which I thought would have been <laughs> a little more realistic. And <laughs> That's how I prefer to, to, to make my way to the Earth from an airplane or, or, or flying <laughs> yeah. structure. Put me in a charger, please. From space. <laughs> and grabs her. It's like, wow, it's so convenient that you let her, you know, continue falling with a parachute and nothing from this giant Moonraker satellite crushed her on the way down but you know it's you know, an action movie <laughs> it happens and the fact that we didn't get a fight with natasha and the taskmaster to save the day yep. a, a real fight a real... was disappointing the david harbour gets tossed around like a complete clown <laughs> which completes his transformation from being comic relief to being completely useless and this was a giant wet fart of a third act. Oh. I'm just being honest with you. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. I'm like, I don't think I like anything here. This is just stuff that's happening the whole time. It made me go back and think about all the stuff that I was like trying to hold on hope for that I was thinking, do I like all that stuff less because it was leading to such a nothing? And I think I can say safely that this is probably Marvel's worst third act. I mean, probably... Yeah. I think, I mean, because Black Panthers, I like Black Panther as a movie overall because I think the writing is stronger than in other MCU movies, but that third act is still really bad. Yeah. This is worse. Yeah. And it's just, it's generic. It's not filmed well. The CGI is awful. Yeah. I mean, there's bits, like one of the ones they've shown a lot in the trailer is where Natasha and the Taskmaster square off on this one piece of satellite where like she's sliding down and the taskmaster's coming down at her and you can tell that that's that they're not real oh yeah like, it's literally that's her cgi stunt double yeah and that's the cgi taskmaster yeah it just feels really fake yes it's fake we all know it's fake it's a giant satellite <laughs> that's in the sky that's falling we know it's fake but the thing about the mcu stuff is usually they make you believe that it's real. You know, the CGI is yep. good enough that, of course, you can look at that and say, well, that's not real. It's like, well, uh, yeah, duh, of course, a giant green man is sure. punching things. Of course, it's not real. But this breaks your immersion into the movie. It's like, wow, I'm literally watching CGI stuff. This is not good. Yeah. And the stuff at the end, you know, everybody gets to walk away and have a happy ending. Yep. And I'm like, okay. It kind of robs it of impact that we know what happens to Natasha. I don't think they really lent into any kind of uh, tragic angle, like where Elena like says goodbye and is like, you know, you know, I'll come find me sometime or something. And right. Natasha's like, yeah, I will. Don't worry. And then you know she's not going to because she's she's dead. So I thought that was kind of a wasted opportunity. I don't know. I didn't care for it. It really ended the movie on a bad note for me. And 
for such a long time, I was trying to hold on and give it a chance. It's the first MCU movie, MCU movie since Far From Home that came out, which I didn't really like that one either. But I was like, you know, it's been a long time. It's nice to go back. I've only been in the theaters like twice since the pandemic hit. I want to sit and enjoy a, a dumb, fun movie. And MCU movies are usually fairly well made at, at best. And... I just thought it was just kind of a letdown. I was like, oh, so this is why I don't like these movies anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's not what I want anytime I go into this. I love Black Widow as a character. I was hoping she'd get done some justice here. And I don't know. It felt like they were doing more set up for other things rather than giving her a satisfying, you know, arc or part of her arc that we didn't see before. Yep. And that's that's kind of depressing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I I was not a fan of this ending either. It I didn't like the whole third act, and the second half of the third act just completely fell apart. It was not good, and it sucked. We never got the cool climactic fight between our hero and the villain because Drakoff is was just an absolute cartoon character. Yeah, but you're right. It's like an after school special. It's that bad. It's just, he's, he, you don't take him seriously, and he's not a threat, and you unintentionally laugh at him. That was very unsatisfying, and, and she still doesn't take him out. And then Taskmaster versus Natasha was horribly anticlimactic because, again, Taskmaster is an awful, awful villain, and we don't get the cool battle between a villain who's been built up as a total badass, unstoppable fighter that our hero has to struggle against and somehow defeat. We don't get that at all. Instead, it's it's very quick, very anticlimactic, and like everyone, you're never a villain. You're just a victim. So it's very unsatisfying in that way. And of course, Alexi and Melina, they get their happy ending as well, even though why is Melina getting a happy ending? Nobody knows. It's unfortunate. It's extremely unsatisfying ending. And I'm not even getting into all the nonsense about the Moonraker satellite and how they handle its destruction and all that silliness. We're not even getting into that. Steven, you covered that very well. It is as unsatisfying an ending to a Marvel movie as I've seen in, in, in quite a long time. We do, gentlemen, though, get an after credit scene... It is a Marvel movie, so we get an after credit scene. So it's present-day MCU, and Yelena pulls up in what I am quite confident, gentlemen, is a 1992 Ford F-150. Now, i got to say, the writing team really missed a golden opportunity here to play off the theme of the American Pie song because you hear it in the beginning of the movie, right? And you hear, and you know it's her favorite song, Yelena's favorite song, and you hear it in the beginning of the movie, and you have her singing it with Alexi in the middle of the movie when they're at Melina's house. How did they not have her driving a Chevy? Because they drove it to the levee. Come on, guys. Anyhow, Yelena is at Natasha's grave, and she does a little whistle thing, and then suddenly... My girl, the Contessa, shows up. That's right, my lady, with the line of the movie, not even close. Elena thinks she's by herself, and you hear someone blow their nose. And then looks up, and it's Contessa. And Contessa goes, I'm sorry, I'm allergic to the Midwest. Yes! 
best line of the movie. Mm-hmm. They could not make me love this character any more than after that line. <laughs> I mean, just, oh, I love this woman. I want to marry her. And Contessa <laughs> says that... <laughs> <laughs> Contessa then gives Yelena her next target. It is the man responsible for Natasha's death. Hawkeye. Bum, bum, bum. There's your dramatic after credit scene. Kevin, what'd you think of a little after credit scene? I like it for what it's going to do, but it, it felt like a, there was an odd cut at the end because it didn't feel like a regular MCU scene. Like it felt like there was still something afterwards that it just got yeah it was just a weird cut the way it just ended but outside of that i do like that this means that Florence Puig will be in the hawkeye series yeah so and that she's going to be an antagonist there because i i want to see what Florence Puig does as like an antagonist role yep. that's actually that's gonna be fun because she did such she did a good, good job here as a protagonist but yep. i like that they're giving her motivation why she's going after Clint, obviously, mm-hmm. and kind of also placing Clint in actual danger, com- yeah. especially compared to like, I feel like the one thing that was missing with WandaVision and even uh, Falcon Winter Soldier and Loki, which we'll, we could get into um, when we talk about Loki, but I never felt that protagonists were in serious danger, where now with Florence Pugh, yeah. now that we have we have had a whole movie establishing how bad, badass she is and everything, mm-hmm. I feel like, okay, now I feel like going into that Hawkeye series that even if Florence Puig is maybe only in an episode or two, right? I do feel like he's, and maybe she's in at the end, and that's kind of what I'm hoping for. Then mm. we'll add a sense of danger mm-hmm. when you don't know when she's going to pop up. Yep, yep. Uh, in that show, so and I like that, and I like the teaser because of kind of setting up that maybe Hawkeye, the Hawkeye series, will end in a more dramatic fashion. Mm-hmm. Of maybe that will be where, again, this is just speculation that yeah. Clint dies in that. Which, right, right, right. Again. Would be would be a cool dramatic beat to give to, especially uh-huh. compared to that, and then give Kate a more reason why she would be uh, Avenger and stuff like that. And and I'd like that the general thing that they're setting up here with now the contest appearing here, which obviously this was supposed to be her first appearance, right? And then her appearance in Falcon and Winter Soldier that they're setting up the Thunderbolts clearly. That's what that's what I'm getting, and it does feel like even though they're not there's not a planned Avengers movie for this phase of the movies. At least this this phase is setting up that we're getting all the antagonists for what the Marvel Universe is going to be. And mm-hmm. that, that's what I'm glad about because I think we've all complained about the villains that have been the weakest part of the yes. MCU outside of Thanos. Yes. Um, outside of that, what is it, Thanos and Loki, and Loki has shifted more to and the he, protagonist. Um, exactly, exactly. Um, so so Thanos is really the only an- real antagonist that has been the antagonist the entire time yeah. um, throughout the MCU. So I'm glad that they're spending time actually setting people up to be... Yep. The bad guys yep. uh, and, and the Thunderbolts are is such a great concept because mm-hmm. they they could be play the play the hero or the villain side of things. Yep. And I kind of I'm excited that maybe we'll get instead of X Men versus Avengers that we'll get Avengers versus Thunderbolts mm-hmm. because that would actually make things different from oh there's just the Avengers got to take on one villain they actually have right. to take on a group of villains that all match the Avengers. Yep. Which actually which is going to be fun that that makes me more excited for that so mm-hmm. um again it's just all set up and which is usually what the, these mcu endings are supposed to be which i'm glad about again yeah. it, it gets me excited for the thunderbolts concept so and that's where i hope that they do so it, exactly steven how about you well i i love julia louis dreyfus so i'm i'm always happy to see her in anything and I, I agree with you, Rock. Now I don't have the I don't have the bias against the Midwest because if not, then when I go on my vacation, I'm going to be sniffling a lot, and I do not want to do that. <laughs> so that'll be that'll be something. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting that they ended it that way. And like the like the Gatessa in the comics, you know, 
she's not necessarily wrong when she <laughs> says that it's Hawkeye's fault. Right. Because right. it was her or Hawkeye and you right. know, Hawkeye didn't kill himself first. So right. you know. I think that's I think it's in, yeah, I think it's interesting that she did that because it's I mean you know, it's it's what she does. She's a manipulator, and yeah. I just love that so much. And I love I love that Julia Louis Dreyfus is in these now. It's so so cool. But yeah, so it should be interesting to see how this plays into Hawkeye's show. I really hope that they're not setting up some thing where oh, all the the non-powered people are going to get their own little little thing or movie because right. I. I don't need to see more badly filmed Jason Bourne action scenes in the MCU. Like, go bigger and grander and stuff like that. Don't worry about the little people on the ground right now. I want to see some cool, neat stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And hopefully they go that way. We'll see what happens. I I would rather see the Thunderbolts and the Avengers than a, you know, well, it's the new Captain America and Hawkeye and Yelena and whatnot. And they're all going to fight each other because... You know, that's what we do. We fight each other now. So yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see what they decide to do with that. Yeah, I will say that I think outside like again, I'm not gonna spoil Loki, but I think when it comes to the MCU show, I think it'll it's a better plan to go with like characters like Hawkeye, even like like Winter Soldier. Yep. To do a TV show because yep. I think they fit better in a TV show than they do a movie. Yep. And so I'm I'm kind of fine with that. Of like especially like the non-powered characters to get more extended period because you got you do want to establish kind of why they would be able to stand up mm-hmm. to like Captain America because not everybody could be have like time with like Natasha has so I think that that's kind of my two cents on that but I do think smaller that, budget too with uh, yeah. those kind of characters yeah. true yeah yeah and like I think what we're going and we could talk about Shang Chi too but we are getting a lot of like more super powered characters like after oh, after yeah. Black Widow like almost yeah. every every movie is uh, even Shang Chi is getting some of that yep yep um yep. but but we're getting Eternals we're getting Spider-Man Doctor Strange Thor Love and Thunder Black Panther and the Marvels I think so I think there will be plenty of chances to get like somebody like Songbird and stuff like that in these movies and stuff so oh, and that's what I hope is like cuz I really like the Songbird character but and that's kind of what I hope it, yep. it gets introduced in uh, in these future movies. Absolutely, I I, I loved obviously I love the the after credit scene because it's Julius Dreyfus and if Contessa's going to be in it, I'm going to be watching it. End of story. I have I have really no interest in the Hawkeye TV show at all, but if the Contessa makes an appearance, I'll watch. So yeah. just FYI, Marvel put Contessa yeah. in it. You'll yeah. get my you'll get my viewership. Yeah, she's she's the she's gonna be the next theory of this phase. It looks like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's gonna so be awesome. Gonna, I, 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 I wouldn't be surprised if she does appear in almost every it, show and movie. Yeah, like like uh, kind of like Nick Fury did in every yep. MCU movie and film. So yep, I would yep. not be surprised about that. I am, which is cool because again, you want to set up the the villains. Oh yeah, you set up all the villains. So I'm totally down for what I would love. We're probably not gonna get it, and I realize this, but what I would love, man, a Thunderbolts TV show. Give it to me now. I am all for it. Because right now, you can bring back the real Taskmaster. No reason you can't. Yeah. I mean, look, we got the real Mandarin coming back after it gave us that horrible fake Mandarin, right? It can yeah, happen. Yeah. They've set a precedence for it. The real Taskmaster and all the rest. You got Yelena already in there. You bring all the rest of them with the Contessa. I would. We have U.S. agent. That's yeah, we already got too. U.S. agent. I'm telling you, so. give me the Thunderbolts TV show. It's got to happen. Kevin, it's, it's I know not, you're best friends with Feige. Yeah. 
Put in a good word for, <laughs> for me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, hey, I, I do like the slow build of the Thunderbolts. I, I'm glad that they're not just throwing them in because I think yeah. it would have been worse if they just kind of threw in the Thunderbolts. I Agreed. like that they're slowly building up every member. Yep. Because, like, yep. like you said, we could have a different Taskmaster. There's no, Absolutely. Like, Taskmaster could be anybody. It could be so anybody. It could matter. Mm-hmm. So, yep. Yep. So, uh, yep. I'm, I'm glad that they're doing a slow build because, again, like we, like I've, like we've all said, is the antagonist, MCU has an antagonist problem. And uh-huh. doing a slow build with the antagonist is going to be, is, is is actually a good plan for MCU moving forward. You got that right. Yeah, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, it's time for the uh, rating for the movie. You got five stars to give out, right? Uh, Kevin, we'll start with you first because I know I'm going to start high with Kevin and then we'll go <laughs> low with Steven. And you know I always slide somewhere in the middle, right? So we'll start with so, Kevin. Yeah, so, <laughs> so are we doing star ratings? or, or No, night goal ratings. I only said star okay. ratings uh, to, to make uh, Steven gotcha. get a little hope. Uh, he, he likes it to do star ratings for movies. So I wanted to get his hopes up and then dash them <laughs> by saying, no, we're using traditional how many night rolls out of 10 do you want to give this? <laughs> so for me, I like, like I think I mentioned before, is I enjoyed the the first two acts. I actually really enjoyed. I yep. love the chemistry between you, between especially Yolanda and Natasha and then also Lexi throwing in there, but Molina was okay, give or take. She was like I felt like she was unnecessary. Unfortunately, I wish there was, there was I could say better about her character. Mm-hmm. But and again, I I didn't mind the Drake off character because again, I, I I'm fine with having antagonists that are just pure just pure bad guys because I don't feel like we don't get that that anymore mm-hmm. um, as much because everybody needs to be redeemed. Yep. And I'm glad that we got a villain that doesn't need to be redeemed. But I think it just falls apart in that third act with just because of the disappointment with Taskmaster. I think if Taskmaster was a stronger villain where he, where she was shown off to be a badass fighter and everything, yep. the third act would have been so much better, but mm-hmm. we never got that. So, mm-hmm. so it just kind of falls apart. Like Taskmaster really makes or breaks the movie in the third act. And I want to rate it high. I do want to rate it higher just because I love uh, Scarlett Johansson and Florence Puig's chemistry in this. And that's what really keeps this movie moving forward and everything. Even though we had a, um, like we knew what Natasha's story is because of Endgame and stuff, so that's that's unfortunate for the movie. But I can't put it against it because again, it's yep. this is more on Kevin Feige and and Disney and Marvel not doing a Black Widow movie earlier, so I can't blame ScarJo or anybody in the cast for for that. So uh, or even the director. Yep. So I would honestly give this if the third act was better, I would rate it higher. But I have to give it like a six night girls out of ten for for rating just because again, I enjoyed the first two acts. I enjoyed the chemistry between the cast. It's just that last act with the Taskmaster just kind of brings down the rating a couple points from what I would have rated it if the villain was stronger. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Steven, how about you? Well, I think that, you know, it's a real, it's real shad. I love Scarlett Johansson as a black widow. I have since the very beginning back in Iron Man 2. She's one of the few things that I actually like about that movie. I like, I really like Florence Pugh as, as Elena. I think she's got a, she could have a bright future ahead of her. I hope they put her in stuff that's better written than, than this. And, you know, I'm, the other actors, I'm not going to say anybody was bad in the movie. I think they all did a good job with what they were given. It's just, I think they were let down by the script. They were let down by, by the, you know, lackluster CGI, the lackluster action. I really, I'd say I enjoyed the first 30 minutes. And then after that, it just started slowly sliding down until it got to the third act where just the bottom fell out. And I just couldn't, you know, I was trying to be positive. You know, I don't ever go into a movie. I know this is a surprise to some people, 
Like, I don't ever go into one of these movies wanting to hate it or to find stuff to, you know, to, to, to hate on it for. Like, I love the comics. I love these characters. and I want to see them done well on screen. And it's just a shame that, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen. And this was one of those times. I, I hope, you know, Yelena gets better going forward. I, I know some people want uh, Scarlett Johansson to come back and to resurrect Natasha. I hope they don't do that. You know, I, I just wish that she had gotten a better solo outing. I don't know. Just, uh, I do think you make a good point, Kevin, about how Dracob is, he's just, he's a villainous villain and he's just there to be a villain and how we don't have as many of those these days, especially from Disney. And I agree with you on that point. I like that we just have a bad guy. However, I think he is written so cartoonishly and not cartoonishly in a good way that it kind of undermines that impact because it makes him kind of bland and forgettable. Except I'll always remember his, his screed against the girl problem. Um, I'll always remember that. <laughs> but yeah, I... I'm going to give it, I think I'm going to give it a four Night Girls out of ten. I really, I wanted to go five, but I just can't. I think it, it, it so goes down so far at the end that I just can't. Nothing, nothing's going to pull it back up, unfortunately. So. All right. It's in a nosedive that they couldn't pull up before the crash landing, huh? Fair enough. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I will go, you know, as as I as I try to do, I try to thread the needle between Kevin and 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 Stephen. <laughs> Stephen's shaking his head. He's like, just 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 agree with me just for once. <laughs> I'm gonna say, well, I, there were there were moments where I felt like I was watching a remake of The Winter Soldier, and that was not exciting. I really, really, legitimately enjoyed everything about the first act. I really did like the first act. It was well done. The second act, unfortunately, was just average. Some good parts, some bad parts. And then the third act for me was just awful from top to bottom. I love the cast. Good cast. Big thumbs up for me. Mm -hmm. And I thought Natasha and Yelena were excellent. Their chemistry carries the movie. And it's the small scenes with just those two actresses that pulled me in the most that I thought were the best. They were phenomenal together, and they played off each other so, so well. Unfortunately, I think the script varied from average to just horrendous at points. Alexi was horrible. He, he is a character that has some real potential with the first, when you first met him in the jail and with the two daughters on the plane and walking to the house I was like wow we got something and then he just became a complete clown show it was it was terrible it was just a joke he was a walking punchline and then Dracoff I agree with both you guys in that we need more just give me just just villains not someone I need to feel sympathetic for or was a victim or what no no just give me a villain and he was, but then they had to do the whole maybe the most natural the 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 resource of the world that we, you know, most useless resource of the world, girls and and my pheromones. Just it just you just jumped the shark and went too cartoonish with him. If they just kept him just evil, just remove those two things, and you you, you would have had just a nice evil villain. But they just had to go too far, and that made it too cartoonish. And then the taskmaster, taskmaster was just 
It was just a shit show from start to finish, that character. It was just, it was just horrible. I don't know whoever thought that was a good idea. How you took such an exciting, engaging, charismatic character and literally turned them into the single most boring, generic, forgetful villain that I've seen in a Marvel movie in forever. And that's saying something, because they don't have a lot of good villains in Marvel movies. So, I'm going to go... Boy, this is tough. I'm going to say... I'll give it five night girls out of 10. There you go. Yeah. Literally right down the middle. Yep. Yep. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, enjoyable as always. I am looking forward. I know Steven may not be, but I am looking forward to doing Loki in our next episode. I'm, I am so I am really looking forward to Loki. <laughs> like, I can't wait to see what you guys think about that. Uh, Kevin has already finished it. Steven. Okay. Hell yeah. I, I know, Stephen, you haven't started it at all yet. And I have watched just the first two episodes. Once again, I like to straddle the middle line, guys, right? Uh, <laughs> even in preparation. <laughs> but I'm looking forward to it. I'm definitely looking forward to it. Uh, it was great to be able to review an MCU movie again, guys. It's been a while. We've missed it, haven't we? As always... Everyone, you can please check out the Comic Book Revolution podcast on all podcast services. Please go by the website comicbookrevolution.com for more articles, reviews, and features on comic book and manga industry. All right, gentlemen. Boy, great time as always. I'm looking forward to next week. Not as much as Steven, I'm sure, though. Until next episode, viva la revolucion. <laughs>